This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue our journey in the year of animation as we stay in the 80s with Transformers the movie. Does it still have the touch? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. It's the Invasion of the Podcast. Autobots, transform and roll out. Welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, Year of Animation. Uh, my name is Paul. Uh, we're trying to transform the world one person at a time. And away from me on planet Cybertron is Steve. Hello, everyone. So, yeah, there's so much music in this movie that I was like, how do you try to squeeze all the different, like, recognizable songs into an episode so- without playing them back to back to back? Yeah, we're going to talk about the soundtrack at some point during this discussion this evening, but I do want to say that uh, that Lion version of the Transformers theme is amazing. Like, every time I hear it, like, I get pumped up, so... Yeah, I'd forgotten about it, um, and because... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the movie, which we, we we're going to, I mean, obviously this came out in 86 and I watched it when I was young and I'd forgotten about like the, like the hard rock or whatever you'll call it. The, the, I guess hard rock version. Hey, at this time that was I'd considered use almost towards hair metal. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, you know, this was like, yeah, metalish metal adjacent. Right. Um, I was at a bar in Cleveland um, the one night. This was years ago, and uh, people were there just playing different music. And I, I heard this, and I'm like, "Is this a Transformers song?" And I'm like, "This is amazing!" I'm completely forgetting that this was part of the movie. So yeah, no, it's awesome, and um, I I wanted to sneak it in a little bit. It, you, we, we will hear it again in the trailer for the movie, which is funny because the trailer is a lot of just robot noises and not a lot of dialogue. So. Um, <laughs> You'll hear it again, uh, but I wanted to make sure that we got that there. So when I texted Steve and said I was going to be like 10 minutes late before we started recording, it was me trying to put that together and finish it because I wanted to surprise Steve with the special Transformers intro. So I and then hope- we talked for another 45 minutes before starting recording. Well, that's what we do, but I but I didn't want to I didn't want to like you know tip my hand and be like, by the way, I made a new intro. Which I mean, if you just cut the if you just cut the old intro off at like a third end and just put some noise and have me going version of the broadcast or whatever, <laughs> that's not really a new intro. That's just slapping paint on something, right? So <laughs> let's be honest, I'm a hack, you know. So um, I hope everybody's having a uh, safe time, um, you know, being self isolated. Uh, I keep finding myself outdoors like a lot and I don't like that. Uh, I mean, just in general, I, you know, I'd rather, I'm, I'd rather be in the inter- internet and video games, but this kind of keeps happening. Like every couple of days I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go outside. And I'm like, why? Like, uh, it's, you know, it's been tough. <laughs> it's not, the, it's not like this compulsion of like, I need to be near people. No, I haven't felt that urge, you know, like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, like I, like, like my wife's been doing some like, like zoom stuff with our friends and everything. And like, that's all great. It's just like, I just haven't had like that urge for like human contact. I don't know. I don't know where you're at with that. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show last week or not, but, uh, you know, uh, we're all working from home and my coworkers and I have a chat going and, uh, everyone in the, uh, the chat is like, Oh, I can't stand, you know, being in the house and going stir crazy or whatever. And they're all like commiserating about it. And I, I just put in the chat, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could easily become a shut in. <laughs> no one responded because I'm like, not that I don't miss you people, but like, 
ah, this, I don't really need to, like, you know, I don't need to be out. Like, are there things that I miss, like, say, for instance, like, going to the comic book store or, you know, um, going to the movies? Sure, I miss those things. But, like, I, it's not like I need to have them, you know, right now based on what's going on. Like, yeah, yeah. I the comic book store will hopefully still be there once I, I, you know, uh, once this is done, hopefully, uh, movie theaters reopen and there's, you know, a ton of movies to go see. And, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm naming like the two things that I do the most, but, um, I, I don't have this overwhelming desire to be like, I need to be at a bar getting hammered and like, cause I can do oh, that. No, this is probably the, the, you know, I mean, you know, Drinking at home, it's like it, the the tab has been so low. Like that's been, you know. Um, uh, I mean, been... we haven't even like we're not even ordering like food out. So like, I'm not saying that we did it a lot, but you know, I'd say we probably ate out two to three times a week, and we haven't eaten out in probably three weeks. Wow. So yeah, like I'm yeah. just most disappointed because uh, this is the time of year that I set up my kissing booth, and I just it's an opportunity. That I'm not being able to partake of. That's extra source of income that I just don't have right now. But other than that, I'm okay staying indoors and uh, not like dealing with people. Meaning, you know, I people would tr- pay money to kiss me. That's the whole goal of that kissing booth. I didn't know to clarify. <laughs> Steve wasn't reacting. I'm like, I know that was a bad joke, but it's like <laughs> if I can't make Steve laugh, then I've like I've just I hit I, I've hit no. a, I, I've hit a new low in this self quarantine that I can't even make Steve laugh. Uh, it's sometimes what my wife does is uh, she just lets me like hang myself. Like she'll just let me keep talking like to weird me out. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend like that in college that he had the perfect like go on, like look on his face and he, uh-huh. and he would catch you every single time. And you just keep talking and he just keep looking like there's more and you'd find yourself just rambling. And then eventually you're like, you're doing it again, aren't you? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, like it would every single time. So yeah. Um, anyway, kissing booth is not working out right now. So maybe, maybe later. Um, so in regards to us being, uh, you know, quarantined and staying indoors and trying to entertain ourselves, uh, I, uh, I mentioned last week that I had my whole ordeal trying to get a laptop so I could, uh, do my, uh, live stream that I did do on Twitch. Um, I became a Twitch streamer for a minute, um, which it, was, you it know, was a lot of fun. Well, thank you. I like, I, I'm so it's. <laughs> I'm so self-conscious about that thing I did versus like, like when we do the podcast, you know, we like, I hope, I hope people are entertained and I understand sometimes things aren't so great, especially like that kissing booth joke I just made a few seconds ago. Uh, but there should be other times that there should be entertainment and things of value. I was worried about how am I going to bring something like additional to what we were doing for like two hours with my face and a corner on a screen for people to see. And I hope I hope I did that okay. I like. I feel like there's a line that has to be walked between um, interacting with people and also just talking entirely over the thing people are watching. And I didn't know. I'm sure I crossed that line, but I tried to be aware of it. Uh, that was the so. So people may not know. I watched, uh, like I mentioned last week, I was going to watch Space Jam to raise money for direct relief. Uh, it's a charity that makes sure that uh, people out there, um, like on the, the front lines of medical stuff, getting like masks and gowns and things they need. So it's a very good um, charity to donate to. And I watched Space Jam and I had people watch me watch Space Jam and had people chatting, talking to me while I watched Space Jam. Um, I, you know, 
that's like my second viewing of the movie. Still not good. That's where I'm coming. <laughs> that's where I'm landing on that. Um, so I, you know. I had not seen the movie before uh, that viewing, and I don't know that I technically have te- seen the movie because I paid more <laughs> attention to you than the movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, the thing that I think made me the saddest was uh, there were a couple people in the chat who, uh, in the, the Twitch stream chat, that we're talking about like how young they were when it came out. And, like, <laughs> I was in college. Yeah. I'm like, an old man. Yeah, like my one, my one friend, uh, my one friend, he was like, yeah, I was like three when it came out. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, no, <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school. So that's like, uh, you know, again, like I was like, I don't think I was the target market for when that movie came out. Um, that's why I had to make it a point, uh, to pull up what was the, the TV, uh, schedules for that Friday uh, that would have been when it came out. I was probably watching sliders. It was probably what was going on. Um, no, but it was fun. Like I, uh, it was a weird experience because, uh, Twitch is on a delay. Like it's like a three or four second delay. So you can get caught in this weird loop of like seeing yourself after, and it gets real trippy. So I had to find a way to focus and like hide some screens. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a technical challenge for me and I got it. I think it worked out. Okay. Um, I think the audio turned out okay too. I think, I think I was maybe a little loud, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Um, but, uh, I look forward to once, once I get to the new place, maybe hammering down the tech a little better. And, and forcing, like, maybe trying to raise more money for other charities by having people make me watch things I don't want to watch. I think that would be fun. I mean, not at the time, but in in, in theory. So Yeah, I, I think a good time was had by all. Um, I think the thing that became clearly evident to me, uh, and this actually doesn't have anything so much to do with you, but the movie itself is, is that, like, I grew up, I think a lot of people grew up loving the Looney Tunes characters, you know, um, they were a staple on ABC. I think it was ABC uh, Saturday mornings. There was a Bugs Bunny Tweety Bird show. I think that was like an hour long. Um, and I can't remember a time where like the Looney Tunes characters weren't a part of my life. Well, that movie is just one gigantic like commercial. Like it's <laughs> it's so ugly and it's like it's not even a good story. Like I'm not saying Space Jam needs to be a compelling story by any means, but it's. It, it 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 just smells like an executive in a room came up with an idea, and uh, you know th- that's a problem of those movies at the time. And I'm not saying it's not a problem of movies now, but um, I think of like around that era, you also had like Batman and Robin that came out, which was just basically like the thinnest veiled like campy version of Batman plus toy tie-ins for no apparent reason. Like it just, it felt like a, a, a kitchen uh, sink product. It felt like, well, I think because the, the actual genesis of that project, though, was that there were some uh, commercials that Michael Jordan did with Louis Tunes characters. I don't remember in what context, but people thought they were attaining. So someone's like, what if we do a whole movie of that? So I think you're right on the money, um, you know, in regards to how it kind of came to be. Um, it just, I, the thing that just blows my mind about that movie is one people's love of it. Cause it's like, it's, it's a toss away movie. Like it is what it is. It's like, you know, put it on. Don't think about it. Bill Murray's funny. He's he, it's Bill Murray. He, I, I love him. Um, Wayne Knight, you know, is given like the thankless role in that, um, you know, acting against like, uh, 
weird like uh in like things that you that don't emote and then there's the cartoon characters i was making a michael jordan joke there um and then you get and then like the best part for me was the basketball players without the powers like they actually it was so that was the most looney tunes thing of the whole thing was them watching them live their lives not being like you know good at basketball i thought that was funny but the but it's a very throwaway movie but people like they just get this love of something and it just it just overpowers everything, which this is going to sound very hypocritical, considering that we're going to be talking about Transformers, the movie as our episode tonight. And, um, you know, in regards to you said, well, this was dreamt up by some executive in some room. What a guess the Transformers movie was as well. But I, it's just two different two different products, you know, and I don't get the unabashed love for Space Jam. So that's why I decided to choke it down again and raise money for a good cause. Yeah, I think it just goes back to the fact that uh, people are nostalgic for the things they grew up with. I, uh, you know, I, I said during our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, episode, like, I, I certainly understand that that's the movie that somebody could come at me with and be like, and throw stones at and say, you know, you only think this is good because you're nostalgic for it. Um, I, I certainly understand that aspect of it. But boy, I, I've never felt like... <sighs> I kind of felt dirty watching that movie, not like in a good dirty, but like you mean Space Jam? Yes, yeah, Space Jam. Sorry, <laughs> Space Jam. I felt just very like, like April O'Neil. <laughs> well, Casey Jones is a handsome man. That's um, that's true. But like, I, I just, I don't know. I'm like, this just feels like a gigantic commercial, more so than anything else. It just felt like a commercial well then there's that and, and, yeah the bit when wayne knight says go okay uh jordan time to put on your hands lace up your nikes and grab a big mac and blah 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 and head off the door it's like i know that's all played for a joke but those are all his sponsors and i get that wayne's world made that same joke i think they it's the same year no wayne's world came out in like 92 didn't it yeah wayne's world is i was still in high school when yeah i was in middle out. school so and they made that joke about product placement you know but and it's so well done yeah here, take these. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Newfrid, little yellow, different. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're under the age of thirty, you probably don't get that joke. So. Yeah, um, and then just seeing Garth all decked out in Reebok, you know, saying, "Man, it's people that sell out." But whatever, like the joke was already made, and they made it again. So. Yeah, I hope people thought it was funny, and then I know because at the end I was like, I'm going to make everybody watch too many cooks again. So that happened because uh, I just wanted to punish everybody because I got punished for watching um, Space Jam. But I, I'm glad that you guys found it funny and somewhat entertaining. That's what I always strive for in my life is funny and somewhat entertaining. Um, so I'm glad I've reached that baseline. The too many cooks thing, while it's amazing, it, it makes me think of uh, Dave Mandel, who was a writer on Seinfeld and wrote on Clerks, the animated series, who uh, loved like redoing a joke over and over and over again to the point where it stops being funny. And then the more you do it, it becomes funny again. <laughs> yes. That is absolutely too many cooks. Because you get about, before it starts getting weird, you're like, okay, I get it. All right, this is funny. Okay. All right. It's, okay, it won't stop. Keep going. Oh, now it's getting weirder. Now it's getting weirder. <laughs> Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it feels very much in that vein of, uh, you know, it's 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 funny if you do it once or twice. It's not funny if you do it five times, but you do it fifteen times. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's the it's the journey <laughs> through. Yeah, so I get I get that. Um, 
but yeah, that that happened. Then um, I, the other thing I watched this weekend was um, Sucker Punch, the uh, Zack Snyder uh, magnum opus that he he it was basically his uh, gift project after uh, Watchmen did so well. Uh, you know how like every like creative gets like their one right like. Uh, uh, Christopher Nolan definitely got um, Inception because of his work with the the Batman movies, and I think Interstellar is probably also kind of like a you know his his project after because he made so much money for Warner Brothers. Um, but Sucker Punch was Zack Snyder's vision. Um, I remember the trailers being really awesome, and I remember the reviews being like horrendous, and I just kind of always put it off. And then after watching the other Snyder films. I was like, you know what? Let me just get, let me give this one a chance and just see if maybe, if like left to his own devices, maybe there's something here. Um, man, I've I have not watched a film that was like so hollow in a long time. And it oh was, wow! The it like it tries. You watched it, the entire year of canon. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, okay. There's so you, what, hollow. What I mean is, is that. It's all it all it's all sheen, and even that it's not that great. And there's nothing in the middle of it. Like it's just it's it tries it tries to like bend your brain and things. But when you get when once you accept the notion that the main character is like um, like having these like power fantasies to get through some horrible shit happening to her, the fantasies aren't that interesting because like physics goes out the window, and it's like there's no stakes because it's all in her mind. You know, and it's like it, there's not even like a threat. Like it's hard to, like it's hard to describe the movie, but if you watch it, it's all pretty evident what's going on, and it's just frustrating. And I don't know, like it, it you could tell that like Snyder was like, oh well, you know, there's no when people are having like these like fantasies, like the the there's no rules. You can have um, like um, like mechs in a World War One. You can have orcs and dragons, and it's like and it's all looks kind of cool, but there's there's just no weight to it, you know. And I don't know. It was just frustrating. Like um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Jenna Jenna Malone is that her name? I think that's her name. She's in it, and she's great. Um, I keep wanting to say Jenna Maroney, and that's not right. But uh, uh, Jenna, Mar- I think Jenna Maroney's from Thirty Rock. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she yeah, is. I, yeah. You said the name, and I'm like, wait, Jenna Maroney. Yeah, and I'm like from Thirty Rock. Yeah, I keep, yeah, I know. Uh, but Jenna Malone's great, and uh, so she's really good in it. And she actually is a character named Rocket. Um, you know, no related, no relation to the other Rocket. Uh, but she's great. And then, but the rest of us is kind of blah, you know. And I don't know. It's frustrating because it's like it was Snyder's like his own idea that he he kind of got somebody to write a script for him, for him and then they would kind of work it out and it's like here you you did a really great Dawn of the Dead remake three hundred I haven't watched this since the theater but I remember really liking it I don't know how well it's aged but it was visually stunning to me at the time Watchmen I love that movie a great deal actually um, so like you get a chance to do your own thing. Maybe sometimes people like, again, like we've had this discussion about like, maybe not on the show, but like, uh, like Rob Zombie's a guy that I think that if, if someone would just be like, you get to direct and do, um, pick the colors of like the weird colors we're using and all the outfits and you could put swear words in, but you're not writing the script. I think then there's certain people that you don't let them control the story, you know? And I think Snyder might be one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, I can I I will absolutely agree that uh, and because we're often hard on Snyder um, and I'm hard on him and now 
I've never actually watched uh, BVS, which keeps popping up. But well, uh, I'm gonna have Steve on a Twitch stream. I'm gonna have him set up on my <laughs> my new house. I will I will be the producer. I'll just put I'll strap Steve down to a chair and have him look into a webcam while he's watching Batman vs Superman. And I think that would be amazing. <laughs> like we'll, Clockwork we'll orange yeah, I was gonna style. say we'll put like the eye things on you, like you know, <laughs> like uh, Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> you, know, like, you can't look away. Like we'll have a friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie, uh, adding eye drops to your eyes just to make sure that they stay open. Because I know he'd want to be there to witness it. It'll be friend friendly. We'll do it for we'll raise it for a good cause, like to buy you new eyes after you are done with that movie. <laughs> oh well, I'll take it then. I guess, <laughs> if I get new eyes, because I think mine are getting worse and worse. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's he's there's no doubt he's a visually compelling storyteller in the sense that like his visuals are always amazing. He's got great ideas. I I just don't think that he I don't think he has the sense of story that a lot of uh, and again this is unfair because I'm going to compare him to like one of the masters of the last 40 years but like a Steven Spielberg. Like Steven Spielberg is fantastic visually but he also has a great sense of story. I don't know that Scott Snyder or I'm sorry Scott Snyder is the DC writer. Zack Snyder has the same. I don't know that he has that same sense of uh, story. Oh, James Gunn. I, mean, I was going to say I was going to bring up James Gunn as like a good uh, like uh, comparison. Yeah, James Gunn is somebody who can tell a story and do it visually and blow you away with it. Uh, he's got both pieces of the puzzle, and I think the reason why that damn Dawn of the Dead remake is so good. Because it's written oh, yeah. by James it Gunn. Is a, yeah, it's a gun script. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I realize I jumped to uh, like three thoughts during that uh, that conversation there, but yes, I think Snyder's visually he's got a lot of great ideas. I just don't know that he has the writing ability behind him to to back them up. And if he had somebody that could really play into those those ideas that he has, maybe he could really do something that would be next level. We'll put it that way. Yeah. So when I, when I rated it on letterbox, I gave it a two and a half stars, like meaning I didn't hate the movie. Like there was nothing in it. Like there's some bits where I just kind of would like sigh. And just because you always hope for something more, I guess, because you want, you want, anytime you sit down and watch a movie, you don't want to be mad. You don't want to be frustrated watching a movie. I mean, unless it's Space Jam and then you're raising money, I guess. But, uh, you know, your, your ultimate goal when you're choosing a movie to watch on your own, you want to be entertained. You want to have an experience. And there, there's enough there that I didn't hate the movie. It's just that I think two and a half stars out of five is right down the line where it's just there. You know, like I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. And I, and I just kind of. It's kind of where it was, you know, and it's frustrating because it's like I, I thought maybe like I'd given myself enough distance from it that like all the negative like press, not press, but reactions around it, like it's faded that maybe I could just watch it without expectation. And even that was lowered. And that was just that was frustrating to me. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say that, you know, we are in a culture of like, oh, it's easy to tear things down. Um I never sit down with a movie and like, oh, I hope this is a real shit show. Like, part of the reason that I haven't watched Batman vs. Superman is because is I, I already know that it's it's not going to work for me. Everything that I know about the movie, I know that it's, it's just not going to be my cup of tea. So why spend my time, you know, sitting through it? Uh, I'll do it for the show. Don't get me wrong. But... <laughs> 
You know, that's why I didn't see yeah. it in the theater. Like, Got to do it for the it, likes, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's it's almost inconceivable to me that uh, a movie could come out starring two of my all-time favorite comic book characters, and I'm like, eh, I'm not going to bother. And, like, and, you know what I mean? <laughs> and with, like, two actors that I think could do something with the characters they're given, you know? That's the other thing, too. It's like... Um, I, you know, I know you watch justice league and, and, but I actually liked, I mean, there's a lot of Affleck's Batman. I like in Batman versus Superman and I like Henry Cavill. Like I know he's, he's more capable than what they seem to have given him at times. Uh, so yeah, it's like, hey, everything about that should line up. Right. And Gal Gadot as wonder woman shows up with like this crazy guitar riff out of nowhere. <laughs> like it's, you know, it could have been fun, but whatever. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was my weekend was, uh, watching space jam against my will, which is not true. I, I openly watched space jam and then, um, and then I watched uh soccer punch. So that was my weekend. Interesting. I, I guess I should put, uh, since I technically watch space jam, I'm only recording movies that are new to me. I'm not recording movies that I've seen before. Because I just want to be able to look back at the end of the year and be like, oh, this is the amount of new movies that I watch. Okay. Um, maybe I can now, I can count, I, I technically watch Space Jam, so I guess I can count that. Um, just make sure that when you when you attach a star grade to it, that you, you attach a star grade to the film and then my performance in it. That's the important thing to remember. <laughs> Worth it for the Paul Stedman <laughs> yeah. commentary. Like the, 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 the now, uh, cause I didn't record, I didn't record the stream. Uh, so it's not up for posterity. It was a one-time thing because one, I didn't know how it was going to go and two, I don't know how you deal with rights issues of streaming a film and talking about it. So, you know, <laughs> I felt it was best if I was doing it live and people were watching and I, and I, and I don't have control. Like I, I own a Netflix account, so I, put it up on Netflix. I think that's fine, but me recording it and then trying to attract people to my channel because of my commentary for a movie being played. I don't think that's a good idea. Something about that seems bad. So I did not record it. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I, I, uh, I wasn't going to, I have Netflix as well. I wasn't going to seek it out on my own. We'll put it that way. So fair enough. If, if nothing else, you got me to watch it. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this, um, Quarantine's brought the worst out in us, you know. So, yeah. But you raised money for, um, is it direct, uh, direct relief? relief? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people ask me how much I'm like, I don't know. Cause I didn't want to be that guy and ask people because it's not my place to, to ask what people donated, but I know I do know people did donate. So, yeah. And I, so when I donated, uh, you could donate and tribute somebody, but they didn't have a spot for an email to notify that person. You had to like list that person's address. I'm like, well, I don't want to have them waste money on sending you a letter for a joke that, you know, I, cause I was going to put it in tribute to Paul, uh, space jam, uh, um, Stedman. And I was like, well, it's not worth them wasting the money on a stamp. Yeah. You know, money that can actually go. And granted it's, I don't know what are stamps now, like 40 cents. Uh, For now, until until the post office collapses and then we're all we're all screwed. But that's that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But I I was like, I don't want to waste that, you know, a joke. I thought they'd just email you and be like, somebody donated and your trip in your honor or whatever. But yeah, I feel like uh, there was a poll that your wife had put in the group that was just like, hey, just let us know if you donated. You don't have to tell us how much or whatever. I think there was quite a few people who who noted that they donated. So good, good. Any money's good money. Yeah, exactly. So it's for good cause. So yeah. So you watch space jam this weekend. You're giving it five stars out of five. I know. 
Um, five stars out of 500. Sure. There you go. <laughs> five stars out of five monsters. Yeah. Um, so the rest of my weekend um, was spent, again, not watching anything new, um, which I, I kind of reflected. I'm like, oh, I didn't really watch anything new this weekend. But um, I mentioned last episode that we were uh, going through community because it got it got put up on Netflix and I was like, Oh, this is weird. Cause I, it's recommending it to us, but I thought it had always been on Netflix. Not true. It's only been until the last two weeks that, uh, community has uh, gone up on Netflix and this will interest you. Uh, community is now getting a uh, newfound, uh, um, appreciation in the last two weeks simply because people are now discovering it on Netflix. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Like the show that, you know, not that I'm like told you so, but it's just not you, but just the statement of like, <laughs> I watched it originally. Yeah, I me too. You know, and, and like I said, I even sought out the, the, uh, until recently hard to find six season. <laughs> like, you know, like I, it was, it was all Hulu there for a while too. So I think because, uh, NBC universal owns community and I know Hulu's mostly owned now by Disney. I think there's going to be some shuffling around of all that stuff. So I think that's what's going on there. But, um, yeah, like I, I've been, I always sung the praises of Community, not season four, but, but season four has the puppet episode, so that's actually not bad. And then there's also the, uh, the the fake body switch episode with Troy Nabed that was actually written by, um, oh Dean Pelton, uh, the Craig, uh, what's his Jim name? Rash? Jim Rash. Jim Rash. Why did I say Craig? Yeah, yeah, he wrote the, he wrote the episode, so it's actually pretty good. But, um, yeah, I'm glad people are finding it. Uh, I think that. I think people are freaking out because the office is going to leave Netflix eventually. And they're like, what do we watch? I'm like, I don't know. Pick something else. Like, or just buy the office. Yeah. There you go. Love it that much. Just buy it. Yeah. Like, like I saw, I saw an article where it's like, uh, like other shows you should consider outside of the office. And one of the shows they listed was cheers. I'm like, God damn. Like why? Like cheers was like the juggernaut, you know, like why is that like now be spoken to like, you know, and like, uh, I don't know if you're done with the office, maybe you should check out this bar, this comedy about a bar in Boston that, you know, had, uh, such up and comers as, you know, Rhea Perlman, you know, like what ran for 10 years. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. it's not like I it's will. like you should check out wings. Like who are like <laughs> <laughs> I will say too that uh again I'm you know I'm we're almost done with the second season now and I'm still impressed with how much stuff is in those first two seasons that uh I still associate with the show. The the Halloween episode for the second season is the zombie outbreak. Yes. I, I honestly uh. thought was third or fourth season. I'm like they did this in the second season. This is crazy. Um, and just uh, the, just Chevy Chase dressed up as Kirk is just amazing to me. Like, it, yeah, it's amazing. We just finished watching uh, Abed's birthday, which is a Pulp Fiction homage, and Chevy Chase spends the entire episode in the gimp outfit. Like, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, the the one episode that I I kind of forgotten about that I loved when I originally aired is the Dungeons and Dragons episode. Oh, that's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Advanced Dungeons that's, and Dragons. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, and I know it's directed by one of the Bruce's. I don't know which one, but like I was talking to my wife about this. I'm like, you know how incredibly interesting it is that I'm like, they don't leave that room. I'm like, there's a couple of shots that are uh, in different areas. I'm like 80% of this episode is strictly them 
in the library doing the game. I'm like, I'm like, A, it's a testament to how well it's written. I'm like, B, it just goes to show you that the guys who go on to do stuff like Avengers Endgame <laughs> are able to make, you know, six people sitting around a table talking uh, for 20 minutes visually interesting. Which, I mean, for all intents and purposes, could be a bottle episode, you know, of a TV right. show. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I know. We, we gushed about Community last week, and people have not watched it. Like, the, Aven- the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons episode is one of my favorites. Just, there's a whole bit there where what was it? Um, is it that Annie goes into like this big, like long description about what she would do to seduce like the barmaid or something. And it's like this yeah. big montage and it's like, and you, you don't hear anything being said. You just hear music <laughs> and just the hand motions and people's reactions is just wonderful. I just, I, that episode's great. And I, I know we've, we've kind of gushed about Alison Bree on glow revisiting community and seeing how good she is there too. I'm like, man, she really is a talented comedic, comedic actress. Like, yes, she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's really great. Yeah. Show. She's really good at it. Um, but um, yeah, so people, yeah, please watch community. And then, and, yeah. And then the one thing that I was going to say, and I realized then a little bit of the problem because I didn't watch the last season that aired on Yahoo TV. No one did. Um, so I still have that to look forward to, but when I saw this story, I was like, oh, this is, this is great. So we're not doing news tonight, but this kind of ties in, uh, recently, um, Joel McHale, who, um, plays Jeff Winger on the show, he is hosting a Tiger King special, I think for Netflix or an additional episode or something along those lines. Yeah, it's already came out. And, uh, they asked him, um, and this is from the article in variety uh, that I'm going to read here. It says, and then with community receiving new attention by its Netflix streaming deal, there's the ongoing question of whether the show will finally spawn a movie as it's six seasons in a movie prophecy once promised. <laughs> Mikhail said he's more optimistic now than ever that it'll happen. There's way more rumblings than there used to be. He said, Allison Brie tweeted recently that she got a phone call from Sony. They still haven't called me, so maybe Matthew Lillard will take over. But I would say there's a better chance than there's ever been. For a long time, I was like, never going to happen. And now I think with this renewed interest, and I know the cast is interested, that it could happen. That'd be awesome. Because, I mean, not only did they keep talking about, like, six seasons in a movie, because that was an odd joke about the, the, the show The Cape that only lasted for one season on NBC. Uh, and it's kind of morphed into, you know, the whole thing with community. Yeah. I would love to see like, like just do like a Netflix movie, like catch up with everybody, uh, you know, get Dan Harmon on board. I know he and, um, Justin Roiland are still working on Rick and Morty, but I'm sure that he would want to come back, you know, cause he did, he came back for the sixth season, the fifth and sixth season actually. So, um, yeah, that'd be awesome. And if I can just make a plea, uh, cause I know he listens, uh, Mr. Donald Glover, if you're listening, and I know you are, please consider returning to play Troy. Yes. Uh, I, that's another joy of rewatching the show. Is uh, like all the characters are great, but man, oh man, uh, the the second season also features the episode where Levar Burton shows up. And Troy, <laughs> the documentary episode, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to see his shocked, just just utter terror on his face. Yeah, like I. Uh, yeah. I just I hope that they're able to if they do pull a movie deal together 
they're able to get him to be involved in some way because that would, that would be great. he's as much of the magic of that show as anybody else. I just so. like that the boat he ends up going on in the series spoiler is called the child childish Ty- tycoon. I thought that was funny. That um, was funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, please everybody watch community, watch it again. What are you going to do right now? Right. So yeah. Um, well, okay. So I know you said we're not doing news, but I guess we'll just here. I'll, I'm going to throw news out just because we're talking about stuff. That sounds news like, but that's all I'm going to play of it because it's not really that episode. All right. So, um, yeah, uh, Saturday Night Live did a kind of not live episode this weekend. And Steve said you, you watched it all. Sorry, I tried to mute you as I was grabbing a beer out of my cooler sitting next to me in my office. Um, yes, I did watch all of it. Did I catch you off guard with only half the music playing for news? <laughs> you did. Okay. <laughs> Trick. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so you did watch it. Yeah, I uh, I watched it Sunday morning, probably uh, uh, like around. I don't know why the time matters. Yeah, I watched it. <laughs> Day thirty seven of the quarantine. <laughs> my brain gets stuck on these minute details, and there's like two people talking in my head. Is do I mention this? Do I not mention this? Is it important? And then I realize it's not important. <laughs> And went outside scavenging for canned peaches. Did not find anything. <laughs> Found half a Snickers in the garage. <laughs> Told my wife I didn't find any Snickers in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> she now suspects something happened. Uh, no, uh, so I watched some of the bits, but you said you watched the whole show. So what'd you think of it? I thought it was okay. I feel like some people, and again, this is uh, one of our friends, Rich, who's apparently just completely ready for Saturday Night Live to die and has been for quite some time. Um, I I thought that like I thought that it was interesting. I don't know that it's going to be something they're going to be able to pull off weekly, but I thought that it was interesting to get a look into some of their lives. Um, I thought so for instance, the first uh, piece that was done with uh, Pete Davidson, I didn't get. Um, it was a rap about Drake or something, and I'm like, I, I don't get this. Yeah. But then there's one that ends the show that's about being a rapper with $2,000, but that's all you have, and it shows up in like every scene. I thought that was funny. Uh, Kate McKinnon's uh, RGB, I I like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I said RGB, RBG. Yeah, whatever. What are the uh, red, initials blue, are? red, red, blue, green, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, that was just okay. But then there were sort of like, it got weirder and weirder as it went along. Um, I think two of my favorite things was, uh, <laughs> and, and this is horrible because Michael Che talks about the fact that his grandmother had passed away, but there's a bit that they do on weekend update where he and Colin will write jokes for each other that neither of them have read before air. Mm -hmm. And then they have to do them like straight faced and Colin and Michael Che is like, Oh, my grandmother died. And he's like, one of my favorite bits, Colin is when I would write a joke for you and you have to do it no matter what. And it's always like a super racist joke, but like Colin reads it and it's of course super racist, but like, um, Col- you know, Michael Che is like, he's like, no, he's like, it is sad. My, my grandmother passed. He's like, you know, she, she's never watched Saturday Night Live. Colin. She, she's never seen this bit. I don't know why I made you do this, but 
it made me smile at a, a you know like a bad week. So like that kind of stuff, just seeing them be like real people mm-hmm. who are at home trying to put on a show was educational and entertaining. Um, and then um, the uh, I think he was a music coordinator, somebody who worked on the show, and I feel bad. Uh, they did a very touching tribute to somebody who worked on the show who who just passed away. Yeah, he, he'd been, been there from the, the beginning. You know, he was um, like, well, you're right, like a music coordinator for the show, like, yeah. like old school Saturday Live. And like, they got a lot of people to give testimonials to him, and um, just seeing them be real about somebody who's worked behind the scenes for so many years that nobody would have known about. I I really liked that aspect of it because it was like. Whenever somebody goes on Saturday Live, they'll usually put up like a still and be like, you know, so and so, you know, and then the years that they were alive and their title. Um, it was nice to see like an actual moving tribute to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also like these weird tangents where, um, and I, I, I think her name is is uh, the way they spell it never reads the way that they say it. It's like. Ego Wodum or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, yeah. the actress. Yeah, and every time I read it, I'm like, I, that doesn't read the same way to me. But I don't want to be an asshole and mispronounce your name. Uh, she did a bit about like putting makeup on, but she's doing it with like Crayola markers. So it's just her looking into a camera, putting in <laughs> like I didn't makeup see that on, one. but with yeah. markers, uh, stuff like that really got me. I thought that stuff was funny. Okay. Uh, so if people, <clears throat> I guess we should clarify if you've not watched it, like they, they, everybody, since everybody's quarantined, they did a lot of stuff just, you know, at home. And one to point out like that you could tell the varying degrees of production that was available to the people. So you could tell who had stuff at home and who didn't, which I thought was funny. Um, and then also I just lost Steve. So one second, I will get him back. He didn't like my Siren Life story. Just one second. And I got Steve back. He just was like, he, he texted me. He was like, I, you just, just shut up about Saturday Night Live. And then he just left Skype. So, But he's back now. I promised him I won't talk too much longer about it. I um, said, I've talked enough about it. We don't need your thoughts. Yeah, that's Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just putting out that I thought it was funny that you could see the varying degrees of production quality in the skits. I thought that, like, you know, you work with what you got. I just, I was entertained that I think the camera on my laptop was better than some of the cameras that the cast of Saturday Live had at their disposal, which is weird. I just, some of that felt a little... A little odd, but um, I, I watched the the Zoom call skit, which was just great because I love A.D. Bryant and Kate McKinnon. Uh, that was the one that made me honestly like guffaw like out loud with the whole bit of where one of them screwed up and, and like clicked off their camera and you just saw a picture of Wayne Brady. That made me laugh. Um, and then, uh, the, the one bit too with, um, Oh, who is it? It's not Alex Moffat. It's the other one. I always get those two guys mixed up. Uh, he did the, the, the Twitch gaming stream, like, uh, cam plays that where he kept dying repeatedly in call of duty. I thought that was entertaining as well. Um, but yeah, I just, for an experiment, it's fine. I don't think we need that each week, but I like that everybody is like trying to come together and do something. So I, and if that also pushes them to think a little bit more creatively, that's fine too. Uh, the animated thing that they actually put on for the show was animated in less than a week. There was speculation that that was actually an old uh, TV Funhouse bit that was left to the side, but it was actually created the week before the show or the, during the week of the show. 
That's impressive, and I give you credit because you literally came up with that uh, a very similar theme song <laughs> right before that aired. I not I, whatever. I, I mean, You're a soothsayer, uh, sir. Sure, and it, the bit was like teenage. Um, uh, was it middle aged? Sorry, middle aged Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. and it went. And it's it's not it's not like the funniest thing, but it is dark as all get out, and I loved it so. Um, if people have not watched that, you should check it out because it shows the turtles in their forties and the problems that they're dealing with. And it's pretty great. Um, but yeah, I just, it was an interesting experiment and it, it, I don't need that each week, but uh, and as long as this goes on that they keep trying. And also I just got to say here, I could not watch weekend update because of their live quote unquote audience on the zoom chat pissed me off and I couldn't finish watching it. Like the laughter uh, I, was I, I so bad. I didn't mind that so much. I, uh, uh, like I said, I weekend update is always a highlight for me. So well, for me too, I just uh, couldn't get through it. Like it is something about like every other word they said was it like everybody was laughing. It's like, they didn't even get into the joke yet. Just let them, let them tell the joke. How about that? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's worth it for the, the bit at the end with, uh, Michael Che, uh, writing a, a joke for Colin and then making him read it, um, live on, well, not live obviously, but, uh, on the air, which is, like I said, always one of my favorite bits. Uh, they do it like once a year. So. Oh no, it's great! It's when they go into the season, they write, they swap the jokes. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, I, the their chemistry took a while, but I I enjoy the both of them together a great deal. Uh, so yeah, I was excited, but then all that stupid canned it wasn't even canned laughter, but it's it's Skype laughter. I don't know how to describe it. It, it was just annoying me. So whatever. Anyway, yeah, that's man for for not having news. And for doing an episode about animation, look at this. We're, uh, we're, we're trucking along here. So, uh, yeah, I guess we should probably just get into talking about, um, another anime movie from, you know, our past that we have an affinity for. That's not space jam. How about that? Works for me. All right. All right, guys, before we start talking about transformers, the animated movie, we're going to play the trailer and just a heads up. There's a lot of just robot noises and not a lot of dialogue. So tuck in. We'll see on the other side. And now for our feature presentation. Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron. And Orson Welles. Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. Coming to a theater near you this August. 
I like that the the guy doing the the narration sounds a lot like Spotsworth from uh, Team America since I just watched that recently. Yeah. Valmorphinize. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so a uh, admission I've never watched Team America. So. Oh dear Lord, please you need to watch Team America, especially right now. That movie I think it's what would be a cure for what ails you. It's amazing. Um, unless you don't like uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, or Matt Parker and Trey Stone, I just you know, the guys, the South Park guys. Unless you don't like them, yeah. Um, honestly, I, I I don't watch South Park, but that's just I haven't watched it in Jesus. It's been on for over twenty years now. I I want to say probably since the early two thousands. Um, Book of Mormon, I loved. Thought that that was amazing. My wife got me to go out and see that um so i don't have anything against uh train uh matt parker train i think Trey it's parker and matt, matt parker i think whatever something like that whatever those, those guys. guys yeah um so i i don't know what it is i just never got around to seeing again this is me not being able to self-edit in my head before i speak i have <laughs> not seen the movie long story short well, I mean, next time after you go scrounging for half a Snickers in the garage, maybe, you know, if you're looking for something, check out Team America. That's not our discussion right now. I I derailed it. So Transformers, the movie, uh, the first one, not the, the live action uh, 7,000 parts that have come out. Uh, 1986, it was August 8th, 1986. Um and yeah, uh, this one, um, we've talked about it a little bit on the toys that made us episode that dealt with transformers, because at the time, if you had a successful toy line, you had a cartoon and then a movie. So, um, my memory of this is, uh, growing up, I didn't see this in the theater. I didn't see it till later. Um, I, my dad was dating somebody and I think I was over at like their place and I found this VHS tape with it. And I put it in because I was like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know. It was one of those times where I'm like, what could I watch right now to not make me think about how frustrating things are right now? Because I'm, I'm at my dad's girlfriend's place or whatever it was, you know, because TV was the ultimate babysitter. Um, and you were starting to worry me when you said that you found a videotape. Yeah, no. Uh, so, um, I mean, I, thankfully, it was labeled Transformers the movie and it had Transformers the movie on it. <laughs> Um, so I put, I remember watching it and being like, you know what? This is actually really good. Like I just, I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I felt like I, it felt like a grown up movie to me at the time, which is kind of funny, even though I do feel like it does, it does go into some, it does deal with some like very dark ideas. I thought this was sophisticated and I was like, this is, this is better than like a, like the actual cartoon. And I always held it in my mind of being like, that was pretty good. And then, um, yeah, I just I I think I'd seen it again a little later, and then uh, was it about six months ago or so? I was at Best Buy and I found this uh, the Shout Factory Blu-ray, and the case was dented, so it was like like half off. I'm like, I'll buy that. So yeah, I, I've I've loved this movie. I just I think I watched it a lot at that time, but then I hadn't revisited it until recently. And I'm glad that you picked it for the year animation because um, you know I think there's some worth here. It's just that this is probably the most this is probably the most mainstream film we've covered so far. I know the secret of Nim was trying to be, it's just the distribution got screwed up, but I think this was the one that was like solely dreamt up of and a boardroom, like you mentioned before with space jam to specifically make money. Yeah. I mean, there's, I won't make any bones about it. This movie exists simply because they're like, we need to get rid of the old toy line to introduce the new toy line. Like, that's the whole purpose of the movie. So I, I will not 
you know, deny that in by any means. The movie, in a lot of ways, is a large commercial. And I realize, again, if you're going to hold comments from me at the beginning of the episode where I said Space Jam feels like a giant commercial against me, I, I, I can't argue that. But I would also say that they gave a lot of depth and a lot of... Um, they, they, they gave a lot of thought to the story they're at least telling with this. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And I guess I should state that like every movie that's produced is intended to make money in some fashion. This is probably the most commercial film that we've covered so far in terms of like straight up, like, like the secret M was out there to make money, but I think it was aiming for something higher too. Um, you know, obviously last unicorn was trying to do something a little different wizards. I, we, I still really haven't figured out what it was trying to do, but it exists. So, um, but yeah, like this was one, like, when the live action Transformers film came out, I was excited. Uh, cause as a time when they're like Michael Bay's directed, I'm like, that's probably the perfect person to direct a Transformers movie. And with that first film, I still think he was probably the right man for the job. Uh, people can argue with me. I think that first movie is actually pretty good. There's, there's bits. I mean, we can get into it, but that's not this discussion. I was excited, but one of my friends was giving me shit about it. And he's like, well, that's just, you know, like, you know, that's just, um, redoing stuff from our childhood. I was like, you're, you're going to accuse this film of being soulless and without merit because it's a live action version of a cartoon of a toy line that was made to sell to children. So the, from the get go, this was supposed to be making money and like milking money from kids. And you're saying, this is the one that you have a problem with. I think, I think, you, you know, I just have a problem with, it's like, it's transformers. It's just, it's robots that are one thing and then they become robots that punch each other. How, you know, how hard do you have to think about it? And I think this was like, I was excited. And, and with this movie, like I, the, I think it being a steward for the rest of the franchise and being, you know, how many years old is it now? I don't know. A lot, a lot of years, 34 old, years, 34 years old. Uh, it holds up in a lot of ways, but it's also a perfect encapsulation of like the mid eighties. It's so eighties. It hurts. Well, it's set in 2005. That's true. So. You're right. Sorry. It's so 2005. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's uh, everything from the look to the soundtrack to, um, a lot of the way technology is portrayed is very much in line with, uh, where we were in the eighties. But I will say that, um, the film itself um, is really painstakingly done. Um, I I know that you know maybe it's not going to hold up against Secret of Nim, but at the same time, um, the movie looks the way I always thought the cartoon look should look <laughs> like. I remember. Yeah. And, and with the exception of, say, like a Batman, the animated series, there were a lot of TV series that had great opening sequences. But the animation that followed was never quite as good as what those opening sequences are. Uh, we just talked about the Turtles. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon series opening had all these shadows and looked amazing and detail and like then you get in the regular series and you're like oh it's simple lines and colors again like it 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 never held that level of detail uh gi joe was another one that 
always had amazing opening sequences for their their title sequence or credit sequence, if you will. Uh, but the cartoon never lived up to that, as did Transformers. This movie looks the way I wished the cartoon series did when I was watching it at the time. Yeah, and so like um, the the gentleman who directed it, uh, Nelson Shin, actually made it a point. I know. So um, I, I want to tr- like put this knowledge out to like Steve doesn't know, but Steve he and I both watched the same Shout Factory Blu-ray release of this. And by the way, people, if you have any interest in this movie buy that version of the movie because the the print is gorgeous. The restoration Mm -hmm. of this film is amazing. Like I made in my notes here, I was like, I miss this kind of animation, like this type of 2d animation um, where it is, it is Eastern like influence. Like, like we talked about the last unicorn that there is some anime like type of like, and with the, with the robots here, I mean, obviously since the robot lines are based off of a lot of, um, Oh, I forget. Like the different mecha things that were going on over in Japan at the time. And you guys can watch that Toys the Maze episode to, to see the melding of all this. There's definitely like an Eastern influence in it. But there's something about this that I think about this being like um, like Western animation, like America, like Saturday, like sorry, uh, after school, like action animation. And I miss this style of art. Um, and I, I mean, that makes me nostalgic, but I just dug it. Like even... There's the sequence uh, in this film, even though I feel like Judd Nelson's performance is hot rod. Sometimes it's a little weird. Um, there's the bit where he and uh, what, what's the name of the kid? Not Spike. It's what Lumpy. That's not his name either. Uh, what's the kid's name? Um, I thought the kid was Spike. Was the kid? I thought Spike was the father. Uh, whatever. Talking anyway. about how much we love the movie, and we're like, who is? Well, no, 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 no. No one cares about Daniel. the humans. Sorry, Daniel. No one cares Daniel. about the humans. <laughs> the humans are the worst part of this whole thing. I just, you know, I get that. Yeah, nope, it just popped in my head. Daniel's the kid. Spike's the father. Yeah. So you know, Lumpy the kid uh, was, um, you know, when they're going up to to Lookout Mountain or whatever, and there's that whole sequence of the kid on the hoverboard and Hot Rod behind him, just running through the valley. That's gorgeous. It's just so cool. And um, I dug it. So there's a lot here that I like. But you're right. Like, and so the director actually made it a point when, like, when the, like, trying to um, dial in on the animation that they wanted shadows, they wanted reflections, they wanted more detail. And it shows. You're right. Like, I haven't went back and revisited uh, G1 Transformers in forever. And I'm sure it probably, uh, it, it probably shows it's like seems a lot because it's, a, you know, it was a cheap, like a, a, it wasn't cheaply done, but it had a budget and it was an animated TV show that was supposed to be however many episodes and syndicated. So the budgets were never going to be that big. This had a $6 million budget at the time. And I think for what it is, it shows on the screen. There's some really, really great shots that I think people take for granted now because animation has gotten that much better. But think about, I mean, I wish, I wish I could go back in time and see this in the theater when it first came out. Cause I'm sure it would have just been like, you know, jaw dropping. Yeah. I, I was lucky enough to see it in the theater. I don't know that I was able to fully appreciate it the way that I do now. Um, and some of that appreciation comes down to, um, on the Blu-ray, there's a, a special feature about the restoration of the film. And they talk about the painstaking levels that they went to restore this film um, and the way it was shot from the original negative to. uh, And again, I'm not a technical guy, so there are people who are probably going to correct me on this stuff. So I apologize. But there's a there's an entire bonus feature on the Blu-ray about them restoring the film and the lengths that they went 
to make the film look as good as it does. And it actually probably looks better than the way it did when I saw it in the theater in 1986. It's the amount of detail that's leveled throughout the film, whether it be uh, the surfaces of the planet Junkion to the digital... And these are all drawn by hand, but the digital like readouts of, say, Ultra Magnus and uh, the sweeps Cyclonus when they're reconfigured by um, Unicron, all that stuff is done by hand, and it looks freaking amazing. Uh, the colors pop on it so much; it's it's uh, it's it's a visual feast. Like I I, I know that again I. I I said the same thing similar to Secret of Nim, and this doesn't hold up the Secret of Nim animation-wise, but boy, oh boy, is it gorgeous to look at. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, so it it is human nature, at least, I mean, I believe it is, I, I don't know, I, I have a degree in communication, so that means I don't actually do anything. So uh, I'm not a psychologist. I just, you know, I went to school for radio and then who'd have thought radio would not turn out to, to work out so hot. So I decided to start podcasting later in my life. So you're welcome, everybody. But um, I think it's human nature to want to always compare what you're looking at now to what, you know, to what you've just seen. So in regards to not that we, not that we've had this mapped out, like we've had for other year, like, like in depth looks at things, um, this one, it also kind of falls in an odd place because it, you know, the, the gentleman who was like the story editor or the story consultant guy that they interviewed a lot in that special feature for the shot factory, um, release mentions that this film also feels a lot like an art film at times. So the first scene where you see Unicron approaching a planet and you see the inner workings of Unicron, it is trippy and Jack Kirby is hell on the inside of that thing. Uh, the ship and it wouldn't feel like it wouldn't stick out in something like Wizards. Like, I mean, it's better done, but just the mindscape of like the, the what you're seeing, it would have it would have belonged there. And people uh, accept it because they're like, oh, well, it's space robots. We already know this cartoon. Like, just standalone, what you're seeing is just insane. And some of the looks and some of the different like when they show like Plant Cybertron and all other stuff, it's like these are very um, v like very much like, um, like the back cover of a prog rock album. Like, you know, like you can easily see this on the back of like a, you know, like a yes album or something. And you'd be like, Oh, well that's just kind of this weird visualization. Oh, this is a movie aimed towards kids. Okay. We're good with it. It just, it's so trippy. Um, that we just immediately, we don't think too much about now because this is the world that we accept, but those visuals alone without context are just interesting and weird. Yeah, and the amount of, of details that are included on the Transformers, they're all shiny surfaces. So there's layers of shadows, there's layers of reflectiveness that's added into the characters that you wouldn't get on your just normal animated series uh, if you were watching this back in the 80s. And... Uh, the amount of, of care that they gave this film is really impressive, particularly when you think it's a gigantic, even if you think of it in the cynical terms of it being a gigantic toy commercial, the amount of love and care that is given to the presentation of the film and the story is astounding. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, let's get into that a little bit. So the, the, like, 
this is the story. It supposedly takes place like what, 20 years after like the regular series or something. I can't remember. It's supposed to take place and it's supposed to set the stage for season three of the series. Um, we have, you know, the, the Autobots and Decepticons constantly fighting just because, which by the way, what makes a Decepticon, a Decepticon, an Autobot, an Autobot? Um, like, is it just a matter of like, Hey, I don't want to be a dick. Well, here you read, you wear the red symbol. Hey, I like being a dick. You're purple. Like, where does that, like, where does that come down? Like they're off the assembly line where it's like, Hey, do you just want, do you just want to destroy all others? Yeah. Well, you're a Decepticon. Like, is there not like people in between like other Cybertronians that are like, you know what? I, th- I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should believe in this, uh, just two sides. Maybe some of us just want to be doing our own thing. That feels weird to me, but anyway. Um, so I mean, is there like, uh, is there like a button that just goes like evil and just press it and they become a Decepticon? Um, it's an on off switch. It's an on, it's like, it's like a crusty doll. Yeah, I get it. So, uh, but yeah, there's been this war that's been ravaging Cybertron and like they're back and forth. And, uh, while this conflict's going on, there's the unforeseen, uh, you know, doom of Unicron, AKA Galactus. It's Galactus, right? It's pretty much Galactus. Yeah, it's really hard for me to make an argument where he isn't collected. <laughs> uh, we have Unicron, who is a, a living planet. Sorry, a robotic living planet, voiced by Orson Welles. And I just got to say, I adore his performance in this. As you know, for what few lines he has, like I, the guy was a professional. Like I, I guess supposedly he comes in saying he went to the recording studio being like, "I'm a planet," <laughs> and he did it. And I think he, he, it might've just been a paycheck, but the dude, the, his performance is great in this. And I know it's his last thing he did. And it's weird to think of the guy who created Citizen Kane, uh, who just changed the way we think about cinema in general. The last thing he did was voice a robot in a movie, but I, I love his performance in this. Yeah. I, I, it's weird too. Um, I don't know that I'd ever realized that he was only 70 when he died, which you know, back in the day, if I, I remember feeling like, oh, well, he was 70, he was old, and he died. And, like, 70 these days is not that old. <laughs> I mean, it's older, but it's not, you know, it, it's not like, you know, Stan Lee living into his 90s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I'm much, I had a, a bigger perception uh, of that time gap because, of course, at the time I was 12. So, 70s seemed ancient to me, but I'm like, wow, you know, I always thought he lived into his 90s, but I'm clearly wrong. Well, and people forget that he made Citizen Kane when he was like in his 20s. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it's insane. Uh, but yeah, like, um, definitely the guy, uh, you know, uh, he lived his life the way he wanted to live, except for, you know, that he wanted to have more control over his movies, but that's another thing altogether. Uh, but I, I love, like, you. there's the bit whenever, um, uh, Megatron's like, you know, uh, no one summons me and there's a pause and Unicron's like, well, like, I'm glad to know that I'm the first or whatever he says. It's like, that's such a, like a badass line. Like I thought that was great. And I know it was written for him, but, and I know they, 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 you know, made some effects heavy things to make him more booming, but the line readings in this for him are great. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think the line is, uh, it pleases me to be the first. There you and, go. And yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a standout because uh, Megatron, even even as he's like, you know, 
near death is still kind of an asshole. Um. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I should, I should mention too, we'll, we'll get to the big sacrifice in a second. Uh, the opening credit sequence on this, right? Like, uh, uh, Eric Idle gets top billing. Huh? I thought that was crazy. I, looked, I was like, I love Eric Idle and we'll talk about him more in a minute. I'm like, he, he's your top at a film with Orson Welles. Eric Idle's your top billing. Like I feel like maybe Jed Nelson's the biggest name at that time. That's true. He's he second. Was a Rat Packer, but yeah. like, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think they thought that Orson Welles was going to be somebody that was going to drive kids into the theater. <laughs> and I'm sure that just Eric Idle had a good agent, is my guess. Well, I also like it. Also, kind of burned me that it's like you see the names, and you couldn't even spare the screen time for Frank Welker and Peter Cullen, like just for a second, like I get like, you know, it just, they like, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about those guys for a second. So, uh, Peter Cullen's the voice of Optimus prime and Frank Welker's the voice of everything. Um, which I mean, I am exaggerating, but not by much. Once those guys leave this world, we're going to, it's, it's going to be one of those things that I don't know if people are going to realize how much of a void there's going to be. Um, especially with Frank Welker. Like if there's an animal noise in the movie, it's Frank Welker. Like it just, he is the voice of, um, Megatron. I think he's, isn't he Starscream? He's not Starscream. He's also Soundwave, right? Like he's pretty much, he's so many characters. Um, and it just, I don't know. Like, I just feel like if you're going to have this like big screen movie, you should at least have those two out in front. Frank Welker is one of those guys. Uh, he's, he's Fred in Scooby-Doo and, He's a guy who I assumed because he voiced Fred when I was a kid, and I knew that Scooby-Doo was, you know, a couple of years before I was even born. Um, I just always assumed that he was old. You know what I mean? Like, because you think to yourself, oh, well, he's been voicing, you know, Fred, who's a cartoon character from uh, before I may have even been born. So he's got to be, you know. He's, he's only 74. He, he's made it four years more than I'm looking him up uh, as we're talking. Um, but he's made it four years past Orson Welles at this point. But um, look up Frank Welker, people. If you don't know who he is, he uh, Paul is not wrong. when He says he's literally everyone. Like, yeah. um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's not every animated series, but. Uh, he's known for doing animals really well. So anytime somebody does an animal on a TV show, it's usually him. Um, and the amount of characters that he's played in animated movies or series over the last 45 years or however long he's been doing it, um, is just insane. Like it's, I don't even want to go to his IMDb because I'm afraid to see how much is there because I'm sure it's. Actor, 847 credits so yeah. far. There you go. Um, but so for Transformers the animated movie, he was Megatron, Soundwave, Rumble, Frenzy, Ravage, Wheelie. Uh, Wheelie. Um, and then uh, he was like a, an auto combatant, which I don't know. Oh, I think he was the the uh, robot that um, Hot Rob was like training against. And then he was also a junkian, so one of the motorcycle people. But that's, you know... Megatron sounds way different than Soundwave. Soundwave sounds different. Rumble and Frenzy, you know, like he's he's the cassette tapes of Soundwave. You know, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, I get to be the guy and the guy's inside me, you know. But um 
Yeah, it just I, I Frank Welker like, and then I mean again, um, Peter Cullen, his voice is just it just when you think of Optimus Prime, that's that's you can't disassociate the two. That that's you know, like his voice is so iconic that they actually had to get him to do the actual films, like which I thought was funny that you know they brought Peter Cullen in to voice Optimus in the. Um, the Michael Bay films, but they didn't like, they, I, I feel like they got Leonard Nimoy or somebody for no. It, oh man. It's, um, Mr. Anderson. Oh no, they uh, got, um, they got, uh, yeah, yeah. They got frick. Oh, um, I can't think of his name from the matrix. Uh, but uh, I, I Hugo weaving, they got him to play Hugo Megatron. Weaving. Yeah. 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 Where I'm like, why wouldn't you get Frank Welker? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, it's funny because I, later when they showed Soundwave, they got Frank, they got Frank Welker to do Soundwave in the movies. I'm like, but you can just have him be Megatron. That's fine, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but Peter Cullen, like, you can't like just he's so associated and he brings such a he just I don't know like I I understand that these are animated characters that were meant to sell toys, but you always viewed Optimus Prime as like that rock and that leader, you know, and. Um, yeah, he's so good. I, I, and, and even, even though people would argue that they've kind of like screwed up his character a little bit in the, the live action movies, there's still just, when you hear him talk, you're like, that's goddamn Optimus Prime. Like, I don't know when he stops playing the character. I don't know who you're going to find to replace him. Like, I, I understand that that's going to happen eventually and you're going to have different people play different roles, but I can't unthink Peter Cullen when I think of Optimus. Yeah, I think his voice is absolutely synonymous with the character, and you're right. I I don't know who you get, and and I don't know, not having watched every iteration, I'm sure at some point maybe there was somebody else who voiced it, but I can't imagine it not being him. And he's also the voice of Eeyore. He took over for Eeyore. Um, I think he hasn't been Eeyore forever. I just like to think, just like, you got Optimus Prime, and there goes my tail again. I, I just the same person. Like I love, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, a, uh, um, yeah, just, I, those are the, t- like, the, so I, again, I just wish those guys would have gotten like, just like some front credits recognition because they need to. Um, so anyway, well, they're your stars too. They are like, the stars. Yeah. You know, um, so much of this movie is hinged on, the death of one of those characters that you would think that, I mean, and neither of them actually even make it onto the poster. Uh, if you look at the film poster that was released, uh, when the movie came out, it's, it's crazy to be oh, like, right. wow. You're right. You got, uh, <laughs> you got Robert stack front and center. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I like that. This I remember is, thinking yeah. that that must've meant that ultra Magnus was going to be huge. So, um, good on them, I guess, for fooling me with the poster. Well, I also like that we find out that was Robert Stack's like first like animated work. Um, and then I could only think of him when I think of the animated stuff. I you you have seen Beavis and Butthead do America, right? Um, yes. He was the FBI guy that was always going in for cavity searches in that movie. Like he just <laughs> he always kept talking about like you know um go, you know go deep rotor rooter on them to get like answers. So like he, <laughs> like this is a guy that was in the Untouchables. He's Elliot Ness. You know, like famous person. He obviously played some deadpan roles in the airplane movies, and then one day to be in Beavis and Butthead to America, which we're I don't think we're covering for the year of animation, but I want to watch that again. Um, but yeah, like the cast of this is so interesting in terms of where they pulled people from. Like this was actually, um, um, Scatman Crothers last film as well. 
like uh, we just talked about him uh, in regards to Doctor Sleep and The Shining. Um, mm-hmm. Like he just, oh man! Like, and then we mentioned Leonard uh, Nimoy, who would later go on to be like, uh, what was it, like an uncle-in-law for Michael Bay? Some like they're related by marriage. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not know that. Yeah. So when they brought Nimoy back for Dark of the Moon, the Transformers Dark of the Moon, it was like he had to like basically be like, you know, hey, like, hey, uncle-in-law, can you do this this voice? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it is funny examining the poster for the film, um, and it, I guess it, it's a testament to how differently movies are marketed back in the day, because I feel like Hot Rod would be front and center, if not Optimus and Megatron, but Hot Rod's a background character. Um, you've got Ultra Magnus, Cup, Blur, RC, and Springer are the main foreground characters, and then Unicron is obviously in the background and then even Galvatron is small in the background. It's, it's, it, it's crazy to look at that and be like, wow, uh, you're marketing this film to kids who love the series and none of their favorites like Bumblebee <laughs> doesn't even make the, uh, <laughs> you know, make the poster, which is interesting. No, it is interesting. You're right. Um, so, uh, one, one other person I want to mention too, uh, is, uh, John, uh, m- m- was it, Moshita, Moshita Jr. Mosquita. Yes. I can't pronounce his last name. He plays Blur in this. Um, and I had to tell my wife, I was like, that's the Micro Machines man. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, that's the Micro Machines man. And I, I kept trying to tell her, I was like, he's just known for being like this super fast talking guy. And I don't know if you'd get anybody else that could actually do what he does. And so when I was watching the movie, I'm like, that's him. Like, He's just, I don't know. I thought that was great. Um, I also thought it was great that they got, um, oh, I had the name here, Casey Kasem as Cliff Jumper. When I was watching this, I was like, that's Casey Kasem. Like, what a weird collection of people that you have in this movie. Yeah, I, I believe he was, uh, Casey Kasem was on the original series as well. He's he's sort of like Frank Welker in that, like, he's a lot of, in a lot of the, the childhood cartoons that we loved, but he was never changed his voice, which I am always astounded that uh, they kept hiring him for things because he's the same if he's Shaggy. He's the same if he's Robin on Super Friends. He's the same if he's uh, in the Transformers. Like, he never changes his voice. He's always just Casey Kasem. So, I I don't know. Must have had a great agent. <laughs> I, but he also has like a good voice, you know, like it's just, there's, there's, I guess there's a certain amount of like, he, he knows what to do. He can read lines and, you know, and, and just, it's easily identifiable. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's an eclectic cast. Um, so let's, let's get into, um, actually we should also mention that, uh, Don Mezik, who we just talked about in the last unicorn was the voice of one of the scavengers or scavenger. I, I don't, I don't ever know if it's the name of a robot or a type of robot. Sometimes we get into some of these names. Um, so we have a last unicorn connection there. So I just want to point that out to you because I know you're excited for that. Um, so, um, yeah, let's get into how the first half of this movie is um, a gut punch that's actually really well laid out. And then the second half is a little weird. Um, so you mentioned that. Uh, so there's the big fight between the Autobots and Septicons. And basically the Autobots are kind of like they have their backs against the wall. They're going to do like, like they have to get like their resources together for one big push against the Decepticons and they, and the Decepticons get the drop on them and decide to um, attack Optimus prime um, on earth. And it becomes like 
just just this clear entire board clearing, which I know we talked about already. This was to set the way for the new toys, but all the collateral, not collateral damage, all the carnage on both sides in this is stunning and quick. Yeah. So, um, what's interesting to me is, is, and I won't go through all of them, but like the amount of characters who don't make it out of this film is quite impressive. Um, particularly if you're an 11 year old kid going to see a movie (laughs) based on a toy and cartoon series that you love, uh, and then you walk in in the first 15 minutes of it is just characters you love being obliterated. You're like, what is happening? Like, um, I would love it if, know, like in the Detective Pikachu movie, like you saw Pikachu get just hit by a car in like the first 10 minutes. You're like, what? <laughs> like you'd see all, <laughs> all the Pokemon's just dying. And you're like, this is not what I, but Ryan Reynolds was in this for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's impressive how many people they take out really quick because you know, the state of animation at this time, everybody made it out. Okay. In cartoons on TV, even GI Joe, which might've been the most quote unquote realistic in that it was humans fighting humans. Um, everybody always parachuted out of, whatever vehicle blew up and nobody ever seemed to get hit by any of the lasers they were firing <laughs> this. It starts off with just people being, you know, uh, people, I should say characters being destroyed. Um, the Decepticons hijack a ship that's on its way to, um, earth, uh, f- for the Autobots. And I think there's six Autobots maybe that are manning that ship and they just, outright like shoot him in the face there's literally a point where um i'm trying to remember who it is i think it's uh ironhide is begging for mercy as he's about to die and it's just a close-up of of megatron loading up his his weapon to fire it literally in his face like it's it's another level than what we had seen at that point in the series yeah, it's, it's so so heartless. Where it's just like at one point, oh, who was it that was like the white and black Porsche that was like the police car? Um, he was right was beside that Prowl. Maybe yeah, he was right beside uh, Ironhide. Like they show him getting shot, and then his his like internal circuits like burning up, and like this like you know red smoke and like stuff coming out of his mouth. It's like you know you switch that to humans, and that's a blood shower. Like mm-hmm. you're just like it's it is horrific things that go on and then not even that like um there's the bit where um oh i think it might be ratchet uh I, well wasn't ratchet the red uh the red ambulance oh, ratchet was the red one yeah, yeah I don't I'm, know. I'm looking at a list of characters killed in the movie so um yeah actually before i get into the rest of the the carnage I, here was a question i was going to ask you before um if you had to be a transformer i'm not saying one that exists what would be your transformer name and what vehicle would you be that's my question <laughs> Jeez, right now Jeez, oh pete um, you always hit me with these questions and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a creative person. And then you ask me this question. I'm like, I got no idea. <laughs> I um, asked like, I like, I asked like I have something in mind. Cause I don't either. I was just curious. Wow. Uh, I can say that like, you know, if we're in the dream version of me, um, I guess maybe I turn into the sixties Batmobile. Uh, which okay. I realize is just bringing in another property, but, 
that's my all-time favorite vehicle um, of any sort of movie, TV series, whatever. Um, I desperately love the, the 80s or the 60s uh, Adam West Batmobile. So I guess that's what I turn into. Um, my name, I guess, would be uh, King Bat. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. I was thinking that you might go for like the alliteration from the TV show, like Kapow or, you know, Bamf or whatever or something. To go along with the, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I feel like I would be like, a, um, I don't know, some kind of like shitty car from the 80s, like a, like an AMC Eagle or something. I think that, you know, people forget the Eagle. That was a four wheel drive car. Uh, and I'd have like a name like, a, I don't know, um, um, yeah, I put like second place or B lister or something, you know, that would be like, oh, uh, you know, bench, bench, bench player. I don't know, something. Uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I was curious because um, I couldn't be a sports car. I don't think I'd like I would. Uh, I once made the joke. Uh, I had a Dodge Neon at one point and uh, it was not in the best of shape. And I saw. Uh, someone driving a parking lot where I was at work and they had a Decepticon sticker on the back of their window. And I was like, Oh, that is my sworn enemy. I will not get into my Dodge neon and change into a shittier Dodge neon and fight it. And I don't know why <laughs> I, like, I thought that that was the first thing that came to my mind was just to turn my car into a worse version of my, of my car. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, we lost a lot of people, but there's the bit where hot rod and cup are trying to get into, you know, um, the, the Autobot city and there's one, like, there's a couple of the Insecticons there, like just chewing at the base or whatever. And the locust one, which I think, is that kickback? That might be kickback. I don't it remember. Is kickback, yeah. yeah. Uh, they just run his head over. Like they just crush <laughs> his head and they just go and they just run him over and fly into the city. I'm like, that's, that's some rough business there. You know? Um, I thought that, I thought that was funny. This like this, this, some of the, like, just, it's not collateral damage because it's very much like that's a Decepticon. I need to kill it. It's just how, how disposable all these characters suddenly became when you, when you're right, like no lasers would hit anybody in the TV series. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that, uh, you know, we're introduced to cup who is this, you know, um, Autobot who's, you know, been through many, many wars, but it's funny that like he, he's not a character that has been around for the, you know, the amount of time that we've known Transformers. I thought it was interesting to like, we're introducing the old war horse, but he, you've never seen him before. Um, but uh, as they're, they're traveling into the city, um, we see them trying to man the defenses of, uh, uh, of the city before the Decepticons are able to get in. And like Starscream gets stuck. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of the walls closes in on his, his, his uh, foot and he has to like shoot himself to get free. So the action level, the, the violence level is amped up um, considerably from what we had in the TV series. And then that leads us into our big battle. Uh, we get the moment where, you know, they've sent a message to Optimus Prime to show up with re reinforcements and he shows up. 
and then Stan Bush's The Touch starts playing, and it's one of those great movie moments. It's a great entrance, it, really. It's, it's an amazing entrance, I mean, no matter what. And just, like, the choreography of it, like, it just, yeah, they they give Optimus, like, when you see him, you hear that swell music, you're like, all right, here we go. Here is, here's the leader, you know, of everybody. He is the ultimate warrior, like, that guy, right? And just him launching into the air, and just like taking these shots and landing everyone while you hear that music playing. It, it's really, really goddamn cool. Like I just, it, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, those of us who, you know, were fans of the series time are expecting him to just show up and mop the floor with Megatron. Cause that's what always happened on the series. Um, and it is interesting to me. Um, Cause I, I feel like we should take a little bit of time and spend, uh, sometimes just talking about the death scene itself, but it's interesting that they choose to make the cause of his death, him protecting the person who would become his successor. Yeah. They're not leaning into it. I think it's an interesting writing choice. I do think that it was odd that it was more of a, like that character makes a mistake that cost Optimus his life as opposed to a simple, um, I'm protecting him and I'm going to give my life for him. Um, well, yeah. So you're talking about hot rod. Um, and yeah. I just, so when we first, when we were introduced to him, he's hanging out with, um, lumpy or whatever they're fishing. Uh, and, um, and so then whenever, Daniel. yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel lumpy Witwicky, whatever. Um, so then, uh, when he when he first sees like so Daniel notices when they go up onto Lookout Mountain uh, to see the unco- the uh, the ship coming because like Daniel thinks his father's coming back home. Daniel notices a hole in the ship because the Decepticons are now using the Autobot ship to get in like under the security like you know features or whatever. Hot Rod seeing this without like the smart move there would be notify the city so that way they know what's going on to be ready for the Decepticons and not. Because the Decepticons are trying to like like use the element of surprise, right? He could have you could have took a second, take a breath, and tell the city they're coming, and they could have handled it so much better. He starts shooting immediately and causes everything to go in motion, and that's a problem. So he makes a mistake there because he wants to fight the Decepticons, but he doesn't think about like is this the right place and time. So then, whenever um, he goes in to rush Megatron, he also is like, I need to help my you know my leader. He doesn't think. So there's like, there is an arc for him. Uh, and I think the name hot rods on the nose, like, but it's cartoon. It's also a toy. Um, it's, you know, go first and then think later. And he, he gets a little bit better as the, as the movie goes along, but I know they're setting that up. Uh, you know, that he has to make mistakes to, to actually be grounded. So when he does take over the matrix of leadership, like it feels not earned may not be the right word, but it's like, you know, he at least understands the weight of it. Yeah. He's he, <laughs> when Optimus passes on the Autobot, um, matrix of leadership to ultra Magnus, he's there and he actually catches it before it falls to the ground. Um, it's a very foreshadowed obvious. Yeah. It, it's, but it, to be honest, as a kid, it didn't make it didn't it didn't click with me. I, I'll be honest, and maybe it's because I was eleven and it wasn't as you know um, 
nuanced uh, observant yeah uh, i was gonna say sophisticated that's probably yeah sophisticated may be a better word um because i'm clearly sophisticated now drinking my i I just i like like the idea that you're sitting in the theater with like a beret and like a long cigarette and you're like like, (laughs) bullshit and you're just yelling as you're like like, you know like but i i didn't see that coming i thought that ultra magnus was obviously the the natural successor to to prime um but the actual death scene of Optimus Prime, and this goes back to a little bit when we were talking about Picard, where uh, we kind of delved into our past with the series. I had mentioned that, you know, Kirk's death in Generations doesn't really hold weight the same way that, say, uh, or even Data's in Nemesis holds the same weight as Spock's. Um, Ultra, er, Optimus Prime is given one of the best death scenes, I think, of characters that came out of the 80s. Um, and I think it's literally up there with, like, Spock. Like, yeah. Spock is sort of that high bar for this type of film or series, science fiction, uh, uh, of what you think of when you think of a character sacrificing themselves or having a great death scene, whether it's... Kirk and Spock separated by the glass as he tells him the, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Optimus Prime's death is given the weight and gravitas that it needs. And it's emotional. It's heartbreaking. He turns gray. (laughs) Which, you know, my brain as a kid, I'm thinking like, he's a robot. Can't they just fix him? Yeah. No, like he, he, turns great his head tr- tilts to the side it's a, a very it's done with a, a, a weight and sense of finality that you don't get in a lot of these types of no, movies and no. theories well and like the director also said he made it a point to to like take the color out of optimus because he wanted them to know that he is now he's gone and because otherwise yeah like you you like later on when cup is like um torn apart on a uh, fish planet um, like, sorry, uh, mechanical fish planet, uh, hot rods able to fix them, you know? And even so like, he isn't like gone, but the only character, the only two characters that we see that immediately just get decimated and that, you know, they're done for is Optimus and Starscream. Like mm-hmm. Starscream is such a little bitch, this entire movie. And that's what he is though. That's what Starscream is. Uh, He's always and, been that yeah. way. Um, and so, but when I was watching this last night, there's that moment where he puts the crown on his head. It's like, you know, it's, it's it's like it's a cool visual because Starscream's a cool looking robot, and that's why I had to change my Facebook image to uh, King Starscream because he's a bitch. But that was a cool moment. But then when uh, Galvatron shows up and was like, "This is bad comedy," and just lays waste to everybody, you know, Starscream's not coming back. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's not to take away from Optimus Optimus's death. That is, it still works, and they like for a film that's like an hour and a half, and I feel like the second half gets really rushed they gave it a good amount of time and space to let it sink in and credit to them that they just didn't skip on to the next thing i mean i think it would be interesting to and we can't do an episode around it but i i feel like to do a comparison of like impactful deaths in stories whether or not the characters return at a later point or not and how they're done and, and, and compare them to ones that aren't as satisfying for people. Um, I think that's you know, a good idea. I think I, of like, like, we'd have to frame it, but I, th- I think that's an interesting discussion for sure. 
you know, I, I think of, you know, somebody like Wash from Serenity, which. Wait, he died? <laughs> Spoiler. Um, oh. I had I had not seen the show before I saw the movie. I went to the, the movie opening weekend because I'm like, oh, I heard that this was like a show that everybody loved. And I didn't have access to it. I knew the DVD series, I think, was out at that time. But for whatever reason, I was like, oh, the movie looks really cool. I want to go see the movie. I went opening weekend and like I, I didn't know who Walsh wa- Wash was. I didn't know uh, anything about the series. And it's an impactful death. And then when you watch it after watching the series, you're like, feel it so much more. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because I, I feel like there are certain characters who have gotten deaths that are much more deserving. And, you know, what elements make that work versus ones that don't um, and, and don't feel like they're trying to pull that heartstring, but they don't get over that hump. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's more of a theoretical, um, you know, question and more of a uh, hypothetical, sorry, not theoretical, but (laughs) I want to believe there's some science to this, but even like, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole, that's a really good discussion because I feel like, uh, there's characters where they're putting that, they're putting the path to be like, you know, like, you know they're not going to be around a long time. So when they get it, it's like as much as you might like them, it's like, oh, this was part of the Rube Goldberg device to get us along with the plot. So that sometimes is frustrating. Or there's times where it comes out of nowhere and it just feels senseless. Um, and with this one, it it is out of nowhere because that's what the executives of Hasbro said. However, you could tell that the people involved were like, this is prime. He's the leader. His, his loss needs to be felt because the first 20 minutes of this film – feels like it's transformers business as usual then it just takes the entire board and flips it upside down like to the point to where you don't even know if bumblebee is going to live or like jazz you know like they get saved later but there's no guarantee that they made it out alive on the moon base you know like they they wipe the slate clean with pretty much everybody and it's it's, I was it's crazy convinced bumblebee was gonna die yeah i i, I I figure if you kill Optimus Prime at this point, and again, I'm 11, so maybe I don't have, you know, the critical eye that I do now, but I was absolutely, I'm like, wow, like if you do that, you can take out anybody. And they, and they basically take out Megatron. They, they reframe him and his dynamic is interesting to me because he's cast aside by Starscream, which I give, I'll give the movie credit that they did a pretty good job of actually showing how the Autobots react to the loss of their leader and the Decepticons where it's like the Autobots are like, Oh, moment of silence. What are we going to do? The Decepticons are like, screw it. Fist fight to see who wins. Like it's just immediate. It's like, it's, it, it works. It shows you like they're all together for a common goal of power and greed, you know? And the moment that hierarchy's shaken, they're going to fight. And it worked. It worked really well. I do question the proportions of Astro Train. That seems to grow and change when needed. Um, like I, oh, if if we're getting into that debate, then how how does Megatron turn into a gun, gun that Starscream yeah. can fire? Yeah, I'm like I'm messing with my Starscream figure right now, and I have the the gun. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, no, that never made sense. You know, like I I'm this all powerful guy named Megatron. Now I will change into a weapon that fits in my second in command's hand. Oh, 
Okay. Like, but I like some of Galvatron though, when he becomes Galvatron on um, Unicron, um, you know, says here, I'll give you the option. Uh, you know, just find the matrix of leadership, destroy it. And uh, you know, I'll give you a, a second chance. And then Megatron, like, I love that Megatron's defiant until he absolutely can't be like, he is, a, he, he's an asshole, but he's an asshole on his, on his terms until it's absolutely evident that he needs to succumb. And I, it's something about that, like that gives that, that character a little bit more, not sympathy, but it's like, he just doesn't bow down no matter who he's against because he, he thinks that much of himself. Um, Megatron's basically Dr. Doom. Like I, you know, like in a lot of ways and I love it where he will work the angle, but no one, no one is superior to him. Yeah. And, and what I also love is, is that, uh, the, losses for the Autobots continue after the loss of Prime. They continue to get their asses handed to them. Um, Ultra Magnus, who now has the Autobots, Autobots um, matrix of leadership in him and is trying to uh, he's trying to open it. He's <laughs> like, Prime said this thing would open our, you know, during our darkest time. Uh, he, he gets his he essentially gets destroyed. He he gets he gets a, a resurrection. I'm guessing because you're still in the new in the toy line. But like, yeah, he's like, this know, is a mystery that I just can't solve. What's going on? Yeah. And he also gets the uh, the one of the few swear words uh, where he's like, "Open, damn it!" Like, yeah, he's mad. Well, and then um, Spike Spike is the one yells shit real loud whenever he right. sees them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh shit! <laughs> I love it. Um, I always thought Bumblebee was the one that said that, and I kind of wish it was, but they yeah. let the humans say it. <laughs> but, you know, the until they actually get to the end of the film and are able to use the Autobot Matrix of, of Leadership, they're, they're just on the losing end of it throughout the entire movie, and they're on the run. And I think that that also builds in a, a sense of danger, especially if you're an 11 year old kid watching this movie and you're like, wow, it just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> um, yeah. and you don't, I at least did not see the end coming. Um, and you think that ultra mag, or I'm sorry, not ultra Magnus Unicron, uh, with his power over Galvatron is going to sort of reshape the way things are going. Um, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And um, the only thing that, you know, was there was, was like, well, maybe somehow Optimus is going to come back. And I'll, to credit them, even though that there were some people in the crew making the film that were like, you know, we shouldn't kill him off. I give them credit for not even hesitating to say, like, no, he's not coming back. He does eventually in the series, but that's after the aftermath of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it w it was, it, it was planned in a way that, uh, at least setting aside the commercial aspects of it works thematically throughout the film. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, um, the, the, the baton uh, handoff between uh, Frank Welker to Leonard Nimoy from Megatron to Galvatron, I think works pretty well. I think they could have just told uh, Frank Welker to do a different voice and he would have done Galvatron, which he ends up doing that in the cartoon because, you know, he's Frank Welker and he can do anything. Um, but I liked, I liked that, um, 
Galvatron was now beholden to Unicron in the sense that he still showed defiance, but anytime he would like stray off the line, like he'd be in physical torment. I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Like it to show that like, even though they have a common enemy and the Autobots and getting the matrix of leadership, uh, Galvatron's still trying to find an angle, but it's it's just, there was like three sides to this. I mean, you kind of, the, the Decepticons fell in line pretty quickly because they're like, oh, King Starscream went out like a bitch. Which, by the way, credit, Galvatron <laughs> just becomes a cannon as opposed to a gun. Like, you know, like, maybe this will remind you, 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 I don't go in your hand anymore. I just shoot you in the head. We're done now, you know? Like, um, yeah, I just, it was, there was some, um, like, political interplay here. That's not even the right word. There was some, like, uh, like, game of thrones type stuff that i was okay with you know like and i thought that provided more depth and i feel like that stuff's aged pretty well uh for this movie Um, oh well that's that's the other thing that's great about it is is that once galvatron realizes that unicron is afraid of the matrix he ends up like being like well now i've got it i'm gonna make you my bitch yeah it goes wrong for him don't get me wrong but like you know, he's like, well, if you're afraid of this, then I can control it, control you. And and I, I love the fact that he comes to that realization. He's like, well, now I have this. So you're going to do my bidding. So and it, it doesn't work out. But but the, when he wears the Matrix around his neck, he looked like Flavor Flav with the clock. Like it just looked like uh, it's like he had like the best bit of bling. And he just wore it around his neck like a necklace. I thought that was funny. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> you allow it. <laughs> um, so, okay. Um, yeah. So the second half of the movie gets a little, a little loosey goosey for me. Um, I'll say this where like uh, the Autobots on the run, they get split up. Uh, one of them, they want them to go to the junk planet. Like a couple of them go to junk planet. A couple of them go to, um, uh, Brian fellows, mechanical animal park or whatever. Um, you know, and they end up with like fighting robot squids and they're like for this, this part of the universe, I get that there's different robot societies because we meet one of them from the beginning of the film later. And I like that they had like a different distinct style. And that also implies that all Omnicron does is go around finding machine worlds to eat, whatever. I mean, how many are there? That's a question I have to ask, but, um, we get to like the tribunal judging people like innocent and then dropping them into a pool of piranha basically, but they call them shark decons. Like this sounds like a nip, like a, like a, like a, like and picking at something. It, why do they, why are they called shark decons? Like after all, like can't they, can they come up with a different name? Like something, I don't know. Does everything have to be a con or a bot? Well, I mean, I mean the characters who are the judges there are the quintessons and I actually, I guess doesn't it doesn't feel like Decepticon or Autobot to me. Um, I like that they were sort of their own. Um, well, no, that's fair. I, they had a different look but, and the different different reality and the sense of what they dealt with. Yeah, I like that. I, I admit, yes, Sharkticon certainly feels very much like somebody took the word Decepticon and Shark and just put them together. <laughs> it's the Sharknado of the movie, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I still like, I, you know, this, this was like early Beast Wars stuff, right? This was early Dinobots, like, type of thing, right? Where it's like, uh, like they kind of look like a, like a lanternfish. What's Karmstrachticons? It's like, nope, that doesn't make sense. Um, but whatever. That, that was fine. It's just that that was a little weird. They never, ever explained why a Virgin of Innocent sends them to death. I was kind of hoping they at least explained that because it's interesting. 
like what does guilty mean like if you're found guilty what worse fate awaits you what's interesting to me though is is that uh, i don't think i got it as a kid that everybody was innocent was still getting you know these sentences essentially to death and admittedly well it's interesting to say well what's a guilty plea get i i thought it was interesting that they're no matter what you are found, whether it's innocent or guilty, you are still going to probably face an awful death in their eyes. And I, I, I think that that's both interesting and horrifying, um, especially since they were sort of a, a race of beings that we hadn't seen before in this series. At least I don't remember the Quintesson showing up in the series before the movie. I feel like they show up in the series after this, the season after but I don't remember them showing up before this. No, it felt very much like a um oh oh shoot. Um not Modoc. Uh what's the um what's the a- Ajax? That's not the name. What's the name of the uh X-Men weirdo like that um that has the weird world that they get stuck in? It's um not not Arcade, that's a different guy. Mojo. It felt like Mojo to me. A little bit of like do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. Um Mojo's like and again, there's a lot of Marvel guys, I think, that are just fat guys in chairs. But, like, <laughs> I mean, isn't yeah. that what he basically is? Like, isn't he, like, stuck to a chair? Yeah. He's like, he half? okay. Yeah. It's kind of had that Mojo vibe, like Mojo World type of vibe to me. But, uh, yeah, I just thought it, just, it also made me think of, like, Death by Snoo Snoo. It's like, oh, that uh, doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? So, well, uh, I, I was actually, it's oddly enough. Uh, it's funny that you brought up Futurama because I was thinking of Santa Claus. Yes, there you go. Yeah, it's like everybody's naughty. It doesn't matter except for Zoidberg. He gets a he gets a gift. Um, yeah, I just like I thought that was interesting. They didn't spend enough time with it. They also didn't spend enough time establishing um, like uh, the Junkians. Like that was all kind of scattered shot, and I get that they're kind of crazy. The one thing I like that they established was that they could turn into motorcycles, so they ride each other. Like it's just this, like it's a it's a cool look, but it looks weird. It reminds me of Ace and Gary, uh, a big gay duo from uh, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it's very apt, uh, very funny, but I completely I hadn't made the connection between uh, Ace and Gary until you just said that. <laughs> Uh, that was actually, I actually had, um, uh, uh, Rekgar. I actually had that figure. It was cool. He turned into a motorcycle, but uh, that whole thing, it, I liked it. And it was like, get your allies where you can. And these guys are just like, like they're just trash and they lived off of TV. And I, I thought that was a cool idea. Um, the placement of the weird Al song dare to be stupid. I, you know, as much as I love that song, as much as I love Eric Idle as Rekgar and the junkians, that whole sequence just it just feels weird to me and not in a good way. I don't mm-hmm. know if that song really fits that sequence. I don't know. I don't think it's any different than uh, say an alien on a spaceship who learns through television uh, oh. playing a oh, I'm sorry, was I going back to, to explore? Yes, oh, I was going God to explore. No. <laughs> I don't know that it's <laughs> I guess since I like both of them, it doesn't bother me in either respect. <laughs> um, I did want to point out that um, Scotty Brothers are the people that put out the actual soundtrack to the film, and that is the label that Weird Al was signed to at the time. So it makes sense to me from like a, you know, um, just a synergy standpoint. Like they had the artist and they wanted a weird song and they got it. Um, and I, but I do love that later Weird Al actually voices a um, junkie in. I think he might even be Rekgar later in one of the animated series. 
So I think that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry, you were to say something. No, I didn't know that. I was I was just trying to think of another weird L song from that period that I would use, and I I don't know that one comes in my brain immediately. But I, I never really had a problem with the juxtaposition, just because "Dare to Be Stupid" is so off the wall um, and is very much in that Devo style. Um, oh, it's a great song. It's a lot of fun and it's silly, but. And I get that they're trying more for a lighthearted vibe. And there's the bit whenever the, the junkions are like, yeah, yeah, we'll be with you guys. Cause you gave us, uh, you gave us winter fresh gum or whatever it was, you know, Energon, um, like Dentine, I don't know. But, uh, uh, the, the whole bit, like where they're all dancing in a circle, it's like, it's this, it's like, it's a very gift worthy moment of just like, what the hell is going on right now? With these robots. <laughs> yeah. I won't say it's a high point of the film, <laughs> but I, I don't mind it. Yeah. I just, like, <laughs> I just feel like all the, all the people got split up like in the second half and I like, it, it felt like a different movie in the sense of like, you had this nice focus narrative and now you're going to do all this. So it gets a little, a little messy in the second half. Uh, you know, they, they find allies and they all go to fight, you know, uh, Unicron, which I'm just going to point out him changing into a robot ro- robot robot was badass, but <laughs> I, robot. I feel like, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out here cause this is great. Good. great sound bit. Uh, where's it at? A robot. That's from my other show, but it's a robot. Um, I, I feel like if you were already effective as a large planet that ate other planets, would you just stay doing that? Why did you have to change into, um, you know, Mega Maid and start attacking Cybertron whenever you already it's had? Badass. Well, it is badass, but, you know, you already proved that as a giant, as a giant Death Star, if you will. You're good at what you do. Why change it? And admittedly, I'm, I, you know, at the beginning of, the ser- uh, of this episode, I'm, you know, taking uh, Zack Snyder to uh, task for being visuals over story. And then my argument here is like, because it's badass. That's why you become he changed a robot from, instead he, of a planet. He changed from suck to blow. That's what happened there. <laughs> um. No, I think it's an interesting visual for one. I think it's Transformers, so it, it makes sense that it would change into something else. Um, it doesn't feel out of place to me. I guess. Oh no, 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 no! Place. It doesn't feel out of place. And I honestly forgot uh, until I watched it uh, that I didn't re- remember if Unicron had legs or not. And I was just like, "It's just going to be a ball of arms, isn't it?" But you know, he he has legs, and it's a, it's a cool looking visual. Uh, it, I mean, maybe it's just because he gets like so. Uh, sure of himself that he exposes his weakness, which is his eyes, I guess, to, to, you know, to drop ships in or whatever, but like, it's a good visual. Uh, however, that whole sequence, like with, with hot rod getting, um, you know, getting the matrix. And then like, we don't really know other than the matrix when it's opened destroys Unicron magic, yeah. sure, whatever. Um, the interior of Unicron with all his defenses reminded me of the enemy castle and crawl. I don't know if you've seen crawl or not. You know, crawl is one of those eighties movies that I'm convinced that I've seen, but (laughs) I don't know that I've seen it since the eighties. Well, then my reference makes no sense. So, yeah. So I may actually sit down at some point because I believe I have crawl. It might actually be a double feature with space hunter. I think I pulled the, I bought the DVD. I know I have it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've been meaning to watch it, but I'm like, 
it's just one of those movies where I'm always like, yeah, I've seen Crawl. <laughs> but in the last 10 years, I've revisited movies. I'm like, I clearly have not seen this movie. I think I think I've discussed this in other episodes, but uh, uh, American Werewolf in London. And this is probably 10 years ago since I've watched it. But I was always under the impression that I'd seen it. And I think I confused it with Silver Bullet. Sat down and watched it. I'm like, I clearly have not seen this movie before. <laughs> um, and then I fell in love oh. with it because I'm like, oh my god, this is essentially Shaun of the Dead, but with werewolves. This movie is amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Kroll may be one that I've seen. I'm going to say possibly. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But the ending of this, so Unicron blows up, and then like uh, Rodim- sorry, Hot Rod becomes Rodimus Prime. Because uh, that's what happens when you get the Matrix leadership. You become a prime. Uh, and he was like, oh, the world Cybertron is over. All is one and we're at peace. I'm like, did anybody talk to the Decepticons about this? Like, are we like, you just can't just say things are done. I have a feeling that there's probably some people out there being like, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with this. And then you just see like Unicron's head floating around. And that's the end of the movie. I forgot that this thing doesn't just stop on a dime. It just stops. And that's the end of the movie. It is sudden and done. Like I thought I was like, ah, you know, for the first part of the film, it does. It just, I don't know. It's a tale of two halves for me. The first half is amazing. And up until whenever uh, Galvatron takes out Starscream, the movies is clicking for me on all cylinders. All right. And then the second half, it just kind of, it kind of falls on its keys. And that's just, that's my opinion. Yeah. I, I can't make an argument against that. Um, to me, I, I I love the moment when he opens the uh, the Matrix and we see all the destruction happening with Unicron. At the same time, and this is more of like a subconscious thing, I never liked Rodimus Prime. I loved Hot Rod. Never cared for Rodimus Prime. I remember this just after the movie and uh, the series, and I'm like, he's he's you know he's not Optimus like. There's an episode, if I remember correctly, where they try to bring Prime back, and I think he's kind of like a zombie. That's right. Um, yeah. I, now you say that, I remember that. Yeah. And I feel like he gives him the Matrix back in that episode and goes back to being Hot Rod, and I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, like the writers but, uh, are like, this isn't working. You know? <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't uh, have made Bender the leader. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't know what the sticking point is for me. Um, and I, I, like I said, I can't deny that you're, you're like, it just ends. Um, I guess maybe because at that point in my life, I was used to, um, the death star exploding and that being the end of the movie. I just accepted it. <laughs> and that, I've not that's very at it fair. With a more critical eye. That's very fair. I think that's a valid statement. Um, so yeah, it just kind of ends, but it, you know, ends amazing. Cause you hear the, the transformers theme again from lion and that it just, it just rocks. So, um, I would be remiss. I know you wanted to talk about the soundtrack. Uh, we've, we've mentioned a little bit. We heard in the trailer I had at the beginning. Um, you know what song I'm ending the movie, the movie, the, the episode on, because you have to, it's law. Like it is unwritten law that you have to finish any transformers, the film discussion with a certain song. But uh, would would this movie or would this song also have appeared in Boogie Nights? Yeah, yes, it would. And evidently in the new um, Bumblebee film that came out a couple years ago that I need to watch. 
Uh, I guess Travis Knight actually brings the song back. And from all everything I've been reading, that's actually like everyone likes that movie and I've just not watched it yet. Yeah, I've seen a lot of positive reviews of it. I have not watched it either. I should probably check and see if it's streaming anywhere. Um, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, I but, yeah, I need to watch it. Um, <laughs> while we're on the topic of Bay's films, I saw the first one in the theater because I had nothing to do one day, and I'm like, fine, I'm going to go see this movie. And I liked it. But when I walked out of the theater, I realized if I spend one second evaluating this film, I know it's going to fall apart for me. So I'm just going to take this nice experience of enjoying it in the theater and walk away. And then I've not heard anything great about any of the succeeding four sequels. So when Bumblebee came about, I just had no interest. So I'm actually Transformers. I have to admit is one of those few films that I'm the Michael Bay. I think it's 2005, maybe it's 2010. I don't know. Um, but that first Michael Bay film, I remember being like, okay, I don't hate it. And it was fun. And I had a good time in the theater. I'll never reevaluate because <laughs> it was a, a nice positive experience because I knew if I started to think about it, I would start breaking it down. So I'll, um, I'll say this. So the first Transformers film, I like a great deal. It's not the best, but it, I think it, it gets a little, like the, the robots look a little too, like they get like really animated, which is a good thing, but too machiney. Like, give me mm-hmm. what we know, and I guess the Bumblebee film actually gets a little closer to, like, like splitting the difference between the Bay Transformers and the cartoon, which I'm excited okay. for. Um, first one I like a lot. Revenge of the Fallen is just a piece of shit, and it's it suffers from the writer's strike that happened at the time. And it's also weirdly racist at times, and it's, it's not good. Um, Dark of the Moon. I think it's pretty solid. It, the, it it overstays its welcome. The last hour is just one big fight. But the, then again, why are you watching Transformers? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you don't see robots punching each other, and John Goodman as Hound is always great. Just hearing John Goodman just be a, like a just a ratchety old robot, just like bitching. Like I love it. Um, again, I'll, I'll just say Futurama as the uh, Santa Claus in the, yes, the first appearance. Yeah. I think uh, John DiMaggio voices him later, but he's he's. Santa Claus oh, in the gosh. first episode. Yeah, and and the fourth <laughs> the the fourth one called Age of Extinction is okay. The way they they bumble the uh, Dinobots, and then the last night is just a slog and not. It has Mike. It has um um, oh uh, Mark Wahlberg. He's like I'm an inventor. It's like I don't care. I don't care. Uh, he's actually an Age of Extinction. A- Age of Extinction. Every time he's like, well, you know, I'm an inventor. It's like, we, what did you invent? Like what? Nothing. You know. Anyway, so I would recommend. He invented the Pelter smoke. Yeah, he invented the say hello to your mother for me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but no, the first film, the third film, and the fourth film are like, and I, I recommend Age of Extinction, like kind of, sort of. But Dark of the Moon, I think, is pretty solid. That's the one when Nimoy shows back up uh, uh, playing a character. Um, I think that one's actually not bad. Uh, but yeah, it's very hit or miss. But yeah, Bumblebee, I want to watch. Sorry, that's neither here nor there. But I, I heard that. Uh, you know, the, the touch is in Bumblebee and that makes me excited. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to make a comment about the soundtrack, which has become over the last few years, having purchased the soundtrack, uh, and revisiting it, uh, become one of my favorite soundtracks of the eighties. Um, once you get past like, okay, lions cover of the transformers, you got Stan Bush's the touch, um, you've got, 
Uh, um, Vince DiCola's amazing uh, score, which is intertwined with the rest of the, the movie, which for those of you who have seen Rocky four, Vince DiCola did a lot of the, the sequences in there. And that movie got him transformers and the sounds of this soundtrack are very similar to that in a yes. lot of ways, which is interesting. Um, but then there are songs like, um, instruments of destruction by band NRG that I don't know that I've ever heard another song by, <laughs> but it's like sweet, sweet music to my ears for somebody who grew up in the eighties, super like hair metal, like high docking level, Roddy James Dio level vocals where you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm just going to point out, I'm sorry. You said energy. I looked up the Wikipedia page. It's not long. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it says here energy has shared the stage with such artists as the Goo Goo Dolls extreme Joan jet UFO, um, Nazareth blue oyster cult kicks KIX and Judas priest. So some of that makes sense to me. (laughs) Some of it doesn't, (laughs) some of it doesn't make sense at all. You know? Yeah. Um, and then there's two songs by this band, Spectre General, that I've never heard of that are both amazing. Nothing's Going to Stand in Our Way uh, and then Hunger. They're both great tracks. Um, the reason you've not heard of Spectre General is because that name was made up for the soundtrack, Unknown to Them. Um, oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, this is me acting like I know what's going on here. So there was a, it's an, it's a, it's uh, IMDb trivia. Let me find here. Let me, there was a band. They were called, um, I think it was called a uh, kick axe and they, they were doing this and then people thought the name was going to be too like aggressive and offensive. So they changed it to Spectre general on the soundtrack and didn't tell the band that that was oh, the wow. name. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's surprising to me. I did not know that. And it, it's shame on me for being like, I love these songs from the soundtrack and I've never investigated in any other music, but. I always say that the crow is the best 90 soundtrack of any movie. Fight me. Um, I won't fight you. That's I, it. You're right. I, I, That's the correct answer. <laughs> the, the, the music for transformers of the movie is so kick-ass and gets me pumped. Every time I listen to it, it might actually be my favorite 80 soundtrack for any film. And <clears throat> I might, I might uh, challenge look, you. I'm on not that. saying that it's better than other stuff. I'm saying that it's my favorite, and I just every time I listen to it, I'm 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 never I'm never going to skip a track. That's fair. For instance, if I listen to uh, Prince's Batman soundtrack, I, I'm probably going to skip a song or two. If I listen to uh, Back to the Future, which I think has got some amazing stuff on it, I'm probably going to skip a track or two. Even Ghostbusters, which I love. And again, I'm picking the big blockbuster films of those those decades. But I I, I I don't find myself skipping through the soundtrack, I guess is what I'm saying. So I, I, you're right, uh, but you're also wrong. I'm going to give you two examples of where you're wrong. Uh, one is uh, Purple Rain is an amazing uh, uh, soundtrack. Uh, that's, that's Prince, but that also does – it feels like a cheat. It feels like a cheat. Yeah, like I would never cheat. think of that as just being an original soundtrack for a film. I think of it as an album. So you're That's right true. though. Yeah. I'm, I, I can't argue with that. Actually, I, I don't have a second example. It's just purple rain. That's probably, uh, <laughs> uh, 
And again, I, I, this isn't one that I would fight over. I, I'll fight over the crow. But this one, uh, I, I every time I listen to it, I, I can't. Oh yeah, my second. I'm my sorry. Self. My second. I was going to bring up was Vince DiCola's uh, Rocky Four. That movie is nothing but a music video, and every song of that is amazing. And it's like Survivor and um, oh, the band that does No Easy Way Out, which I know. Robert you, Tepper. There you because go. Because I, I own that soundtrack too. <laughs> and, that, and I just love it where it's like, Hey, we love your work on Rocky Ford. He's like, I did work on Rocky Ford. It's like, yeah, the bits in between all the music videos that were in that movie, you know, like, <laughs> and then to find out that the touch was actually written by Stan Bush. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, that was for the film Cobra where yeah. I, I bought Cobra last year when I was walking around with you drunkenly on the sales floor of Assemble <laughs> Wasteland. I've not watched it. It's, it's a Canon Canon ish film. Um, I've not watched it in recent memory, but I know that film's a little dark and gritty. I don't know where this song would belong in that. So I think this is the better choice. Um, yeah. I just want to say too, uh, that is my favorite wasteland memory. Maybe not a be- exactly the best uh, advice to get drunk and then walk around a sales floor and be like, ah, I got money in my pocket. But like uh, us uh, <laughs> walking around that day after uh, having a few drinks and just enjoying the show is one of my favorite memories of uh, Cinema Wasteland. Well, so I, I'm, in this time of of quarantine, I look forward to doing with that with you again, getting you, drunk and getting and drunk and spending money. money. Yeah, we'll do that. That's not a problem. <laughs> uh, I also remember completely dropping a beer on someone's table, and I, they weren't around, and I felt bad about that. But that's not here nor there. Anyway. So though this soundtrack is awesome and it is kick-ass and as much as I feel like they, it is layered in to the point to where it's like, you have a hard time separating the film from the soundtrack. Uh, it, it's, it's tied in and it's iconic. And even though I feel like they maybe leaned into the songs a little much at times on here, um, I guess it's better to go a little, little too much than not enough. Um, like Vince DiCola and, uh, uh, the other people that were talking on like the, the, the special features on that, that, uh, shop factory, uh, movie or like the shop, shop factory extra feature mm-hmm. special edition thing. It's a Blu-ray buy it. Um, they said this was like the crystallization, like perfect eighties moment. And I agree with that. It's like, this is a weird movie about robots and we got all these synthesizers and we got like this glam metal, sorry, hair metal, it, you know, cock rock, whatever you want to call it. it it's there, you know, and it is eighties as hell. And it just, it it's unabashedly eighties. And we talked about when we watched last unicorn and, um, secret of them, those came out a year or two before this film, they feel like they're in different decades and I can't explain why. Well, so I have two thoughts on this. One is, is that I feel like secret Nim is done by guys who'd been working at Disney and been trained in a specific way for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So they brought some of that with them. Uh, doesn't mean that they didn't bring the desire to basically do a Disney film in a new way, but they had that traditional animation style behind them. And the story is based on, uh, even though neither of us, neither of us have read it, a beloved book. So I, I feel like that's certainly there. Um, but the other thing I want to mention was, was layering the mu- music. And again, excuse me if I go on a tangent, because that's what I do. Um, so this past weekend, uh, Kathy fell asleep while we were watching something. And 
it's easier for me to put something on that if I put on while she's asleep and I know it's something that she's like, I'm not going to have to change it immediately once she wakes up. So I was looking through her movies. I'm like, what movies do we have that I know that she likes? And I recently bought Secret of My Success because I hadn't watched it in a few years. But I'm like, oh, I know she likes Secret of My Success because the last time we watched it, um, I know that she mentioned that she liked it or whatever. So I put it on. And as I'm watching the film, it occurs to me, and I don't know why I hadn't picked up on this previously, that movie is literally stitched together with music sequences. If it's not a montage, it's a segue with music. <laughs> I, I literally don't know that you go five minutes between scenes without either a musical interlude or a montage. That movie is nothing but it. Like, if if you were somebody who was like, how do I stitch together a movie with, you know... Uh, Bubblegum and music montages, you'd be like, here, watch Secret of My Success. <laughs> but I don't get that with this movie. Like, That's I, fair. It, That's fair. It, it feels like it's, look, most movie soundtracks are put together as a separate organism, as a way to promote the film and, you know, make some money that way. But I, I never felt like the music in this film was... Um, they're simply to, um, get us through the movie. It, 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 it didn't feel like a score, but I, I felt that it was a cohesive soundtrack is the best way that I can put it. Well, and that's fair. Like, and, it, and to know that like there was the, the score and then the soundtrack and that all like, uh, Vince DiCola, um, he, he, he was saying that like, he produced that like not in a vacuum, but like not knowing what they would get like otherwise, but he feels like it blends together. Well, I'll, I will give it that. I will. I will just say that there's just times where some of the layering in terms of like, okay, okay. Can we just back off for a second and not have like a constant, like music, like scoring's fine songs, you know, underneath some of the stuff that again, this is a nitpick and I'm talking like the smallest of nits. This is not, I let, let's just get to it. I love this movie. It is a romp. Uh, it is fun. It, it has, you know, like I, I love the transformers and I feel like we're going through this tour of my loves because we did the Ninja Turtles last week and now transformers. This was my childhood. And I, I think that even though the second half of this movie is a little squishy, um, I still think it, like all intents and purposes for what it could have been. It could have been a complete shit show. That was a commercial. And it is a commercial, but there's purpose and the people involved try to give weight and gravity to the losses. And I think they do. And I think it sets the stage for what comes next. I think like everything, everything going into this movie should say it shouldn't hold up. It shouldn't work. And there's still, it's still greater than the sum of its parts. And I enjoy this movie a great deal. Yeah. And I, I, I brought up G.I. Joe um, during this conversation a couple of times, and I almost suggested that we do a double feature of Transformers the movie and G.I. Joe for this episode, because uh, G.I. Joe was in the production at the same time. It was actually scheduled to come out before this movie, but for some reason got held up. So Transformers came out first because it completed first. Um, and there are effects that carry over from this movie into that movie. But that one feels much more, and again, it may be the disparity from the time that I saw that movie versus when I saw this one, but that one feels very much more like a 
a story that is completely set to clear the deck for the new toys. Yeah. Um, and again, I understand that uh, nostalgia can be a, a, a great drug and can blind us to some of those things. I, I'm completely aware of what Transformers of the movie is, but I think it would be an interesting juxtaposition to see, like, I don't know that G.I. Joe the movie is held up the way Transformers the movie is. I don't know that even people who are fans of both franchises hold that other film up the way this one does. Um, I I don't know. I, I I feel like at least this one had a little bit more heart and soul to it than okay. that one. And as something that is essentially a toy advertisement for the next line of toys, it works pretty well overall. So I, I will, I will, um, I'll give you this. I'll, I'll toss this out. So I know we're taking a two week hiatus because I got to move my shit from one place to another. So I appreciate you letting me uh, move my shit. So that's great. Um, as opposed to being like taskmaster of like, we got to keep recording. I'm like, I won't have internet. It doesn't matter. You know, like whatever. <laughs> um, maybe we should just do like a, like a, just another side episode. Like, We'll we'll do like we'll we'll do an honest to goodness like May edition of the year animation. If we want to cover the GI Joe movie, I've not seen that since I was a kid. Let's just do it. We'll just cover it. We'll just talk about it and see how it holds up. I think that'd be fine. Uh, you know, I know Don Johnson is Duke, if I remember right, in that. Um, and I, I know feel like he's Falcon. Oh, Falcon? maybe who knows? And then I also I know that uh that uh, Cobra Commander gets a lot of eyes in that, if I remember right. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll cover that. I think we'll do it. Like. Brief aside, we'll we'll just do we'll do another like a mini not a mini episode because we're two hours and fifteen minutes in this. <laughs> Nothing's mini with what we do things anymore. It's fine. I blame myself. I blame me. I blame. <laughs> I blame actually everybody listening. How dare you make us talk this long? But uh, yeah, no. Uh, I don't know if you had other thoughts or feelings about Transformers the movie. This, I'm glad that you picked it. Uh, not only because it's one of my loves. It's just that I've not. I, I didn't get a chance to finish it the last time I had watched it. And I'm glad I own this and it's, it's a worthy watch. I think that there's much, there is much worse things that you could watch that are blatant cash ins. And I think that the least there was a heart, uh, and, um, a lot of thought that went into this. Yeah. I mean, of the four films that we've watched, you know, I'm going to say quality wise secret of Nam all day long. Um, but this is going to come in a close second. Um, and maybe I'm not being fair to you, um, the last unicorn in that statement, but <laughs> I, I this is my preference. And again, I, I won't I won't apologize for for it being something that I love from my childhood versus something that I'd not not seen until I was a 45 year old man. <laughs> uh, That's fair, know, but also I feel like you have a better. Um, I think you have a more of a love for this style like hair metal versus America. I think. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. also a very, very good point. Cause mm. I don't know that I knew of any of America's music before. And now I wish I hadn't known it at all. And to be fair, <laughs> the transformation sequences of this are way more badass than a unicorn becoming a naked woman. Kind of. <laughs> and then becoming a unicorn again. You didn't even hear the noise in the last unicorn. Come on. Come on. <laughs> that would have been amazing, though. I want to re-edit that movie yeah, now. Yeah, right? You're like, magic, do what you will. What happened? Where did the horn go? I don't even know. 
Um, yeah. So, no, I, I, the recommendation-wise, I know we both recommend this. I, the Transformers, the movie's a lot of fun. Again, find the Shout Factory Blu-ray release this. It is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. Like, and I'd also even recommend, like, this is one of those movies that the soundtrack's killer, but if you just put it on the background while you're doing stuff, there's always something to look at. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm glad that we revisited this. It was, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great, uh, it's been a great, uh, um, revisiting Paul's uh, childhood. All we need to do is an episode next about Mega Man and we'd be the, uh, you know, the trifecta would be complete. Um, so it's funny. I, I, I believe I have. Mega Band now on uh, the Super Nintendo that uh, I had our mutual friend uh, basically uh, load a bunch of games onto for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never played Mega Man as a kid, so I don't have the affinity for Mega Man that you do. But I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I'd love to talk about because like I go back to play now. I'm terrible. I don't have the same muscle memory I did, but I I could I could wax nostalgic about mm-hmm. Mega Man for a while. Um, just, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So yes, uh, recommended. Yes. The movie's easily available. I guess you guys can rent it like pretty cheaply. It might be available on Hulu even now that I think about it, but, uh, yeah, if you, if you have nothing else to do right now and really do you watch Transformers the movie, <laughs> uh, it's a good watch. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to do it for us this week. Again, everybody, please forgive us for a lack of content for two weeks. I have to move shit from one place to another. It is the worst, best problem to have right now. Like, Hey Paul, when were you actually going to be a grown up and buy a house? I don't know. During a plague. Yeah. That's a, it's going to be no a better thing. time than a plague. No better time than a plague. Um, you want to, you want to know like the first world problems we got to deal with. Here's the first world problems we got to deal with. Um, the house that we've closed on, uh, it had the, the people that own the house left like a 60, inch plus tv as part of the deal like it's a brand new tv no it's it's in plastic still it's above the fireplace that we that we've now bought we also have like a like a slightly smaller tv at our current apartment like steve's seen the tv it's pretty goddamn big what do we do with these two tvs i don't know like it's one of those problems of like we now have a big tv and now we have a bigger tv First Put it problems. on your wall in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Who knows? But uh, that's our problems. Is like we're gonna like what we're we gonna do with the other TV. You know, like what are we gonna do with the summer home? These are the problems that we have right now. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, people, pre- please, please be uh, just understand that. Like, I want to record. It's just that, just <laughs> I gotta move shit and I gotta set up internet. So it'd be tough otherwise. Uh, but we'll, we'll be back in May. We'll be back talking about stuff. Um, and in the meantime, um, you know, Steve will be finishing. You know, we're putting some touches on his uh, science slasher issue too. I know we'll be working on that. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll be working on that. Um, it's funny. Uh, I recently just went in and put uh, our star on vacation. Uh, I'm doing air quotes on Etsy because I'm like, you know what? I don't really know that I need to be mailing anything out right now. Hmm. Uh, so if you visit the Etsy store, the art of the slash. Right now, it's going to tell you that we're on vacation. Probably by the time we're back up, it may be back open. But uh, um, you can go online, actually, com and read the story for free for where for where we're at at this point. Nice. So, nice. Um, I'm yeah, still, I'm, I, I yeah. thought about that because I'm like, oh, we're going to be off for two weeks. I should probably mention if they actually want to buy a copy, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm still I'm still gunning for Steve to have me killed somewhere in an issue of the Silent Slasher. So that's my goal is to be killed by the slasher in, in an issue. Um, no pressure, but I I just I feel like if you face your own death, then you're like you know what could be worse could be killed by the Silent Slasher. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, cause then if you know how you die, then you're ready for it, I guess. I don't know. Um, so yeah, you guys can find us on Facebook. It's invasion of the podcast. Uh, you can email us directly at invadingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us, they'd be greatly appreciated. Um, if you enjoy our ramblings of two plus hours of where we, uh, drink and talk about robots punching each other, recommend it to a friend. Well, like again, what else are you going to do right now? We, you are our captive audience, right? Right? Not really. Um, I'd say we have a topic for next time we come back. We haven't figured out stuff. We're, you know, we're just, we're just living life. We're just, you know. I, I believe the uh, episode, uh, the next episode will just be on the topic of the headaches of moving. Yeah, I'm sure I'll have some stories, right? So, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Anyway, have a good week, everybody. Uh, and remember, um, you know, like the matrix of leadership, it might be passed from person to person, but it is always inside of you if you believe hard enough. I like to believe it's in all of us. You got the touch. You got the power.
You got the power.